this is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 73. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lum Ramiyasha, and today we are starting off 2019 by recapping the best of 2018, the best of manga in 2018 that is that's right it's time for our annual best of podcast in which we look back on the last year of manga and discuss what were our favorite manga related moments and series and all sorts of good stuff from the year and so you can look forward to that uh, but first, we'll go through just a little bit of news, a few short news pieces, but then we're going to get right into some celebration of the best of manga in 2018. Yeah, praise the Lord. We only have one, one page worth of news. I can't believe it happened. It's a 2019 miracle. Only five stories. Not a whole lot in this first week. Oh man, but I'm I'm sure this will uh, easily quadruple like by the next episode. So I'm not I'm not getting my hopes up. Um, anyway, so um, we're just gonna start off with some serialization news, um, which is b- basically half of our news. So our first piece of news uh, comes from the February issue of Futabasha's monthly action magazine, which announced that uh, Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid will be getting a third spinoff series beginning in the next issue on January 5th, in which it is a quote-unquote slightly lewd comedy entitled Kobayashi-san Chi no Maid Dragon Luka blah blah blah. I'm just going to read the English title. Uh, Luka is my something. Uh, They kind of censor a word in there. That's probably part of the joke or something. Uh, in which it'll be focusing on uh, Luca and Shota. I'm I'm pronouncing her name right, Luca, Lukoa, uh, Lukoa. Thank is you. Her okay, name. I wasn't sure. Um, and Utamaru will be illustrating the manga in particular. And so, yeah, I mean, if you want more Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, you are once again getting more of it. So, you know, I'm I'm happy for all the. Uh, Dragon Maid fans out there that are getting uh that are getting more manga spinoffs. Yeah, if you like Luko and Shota chapters, now there's gonna be a whole manga about them, full of I'm sure a lot of fan servicey, etchy humor and shenanigans in which poor Shota gets into very pervy situations with Lukoa. But hey, I mean this is the third spinoff of Dragon Maid. Like there's a spinoff for. Most of the sidecast at this point, there's a Kana spinoff, there's an Elma spinoff, now a Lukoa spinoff. They only need to make like a Fafnir spinoff next, and then an Ilulu spinoff. Like, I am positive that they have to make a Lulu spinoff at some point, or a Fafnir spinoff. I want a Fafnir spinoff, a spinoff of Fafnir just playing video games. (laughs) That'd be a lot of fun. Fafnir and Takia just playing games, their gaming adventures, that'll be good. Uh, but moving on to our next piece of serialization news, uh, in the combined third and fourth issue of Shueisha's Margaret magazine, it was revealed that uh, Shu Morishita will be ending Short Cake Cake in two more chapters. Uh, Morishita serializes the series once a month, so uh, assuming the manga doesn't take any breaks, uh, this means it'll be ending in the seventh issue on March 5th. Uh, Short Cake Cake has been running in uh, Margaret Magazine since November 2015 and uh, is also a title being released by Viz Media. Uh, I believe two volumes of that have come out. Correct me if I'm wrong. They have indeed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I've seen the series around, and like I, I at least like the covers for them. They, you know, they seem kind of cute. Yeah, it's a cute premise, a cute story. It seems like it'll be ending soon, so definitely check that out because it doesn't seem like it'll be a very long series if it's going to be ending in. I guess it's eleventh volume since the tenth volume was its most recent. Yeah, not not terribly long. So if you want to, I guess a short shoujo series, check it out. But uh, anyway, so uh, moving on to the very last bit of serialization news, one that I'm I'm very sad to announce. It is finally, 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 finally been confirmed by Shueisha themselves, uh, because uh, the seventy sixth volume of Gintama was released uh, recently. And uh, within that volume, it was announced that the next volume, volume 77, will indeed be the final volume of Gintama, and it will be out this spring. So, uh, for those who may not remember, uh, Gintama uh, technically ended in Jump, kind of. It ended in Jump, but uh, essentially, Sirachi screwed up, and... uh, you know, because he couldn't end it in time, he he's basically trying to finish it and jump Giga right now. Uh, I believe, yeah, the first the first issue of um, of its jump Giga run is already out uh, at the time of this recording. And now we're basically just waiting for the next two issues of Jump Giga to basically release what's pretty much going to be the final two chapters of Gintama. I don't think. Uh, I mean, obviously, if, if seventy seven is coming out this spring, then I'm assuming that uh, these next two chapters will basically be it. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really sad that after so many fake-outs that it's actually coming to an end. Um, a part of me really wants this to be another fake-out, but, like, most of me is just kind of like, finally, it's ending! <laughs> yeah, well, it's not over till it's over, so let's see if Volume 77 is indeed the end for Gintama, or if somehow it continues even beyond... The manga called Gintama ends, but then they make another sequel to Gintama, and the story just continues under that name, a new <sighs> sequel's name, like oh, Jesus. Gintutama. Oh my God, I, I, I can, I can see it now. Volume seventy seven is going to come out, and it, there's going to be an announcement for Giruto Gintama Next Generations or something. <laughs> yeah, Gintama Next Generations. Uh, Gintama Z. Oh my god. Uh, Gintama New World. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm kind of hoping it's not. I, I actually really do hope this is just kind of it. Because I, I really just, like, because Sirachi, you know, for those who may not know, has had an infamously hard time trying to end Gintama. Um, as he so likes to make fun of himself for that kind of thing within the series, you know, itself. So I'm just really hoping he sticks the landing. I mean, I I don't want to go on too much too long about this, but like the final arc, I I have very mixed feelings about. But I mean, as as long as he can end the series in a in a satisfying way, you know, I that like that's all I really want at this point. I am looking forward to seeing how Gintama ends if it actually does. But that's pretty much about it for civilization news. Yeah, now let's talk about some licensing news, and J-Noble Club has licensed three new manga series. First up, they've licensed I Shall Survive Using Potions, based on writer Funa and artist Tsukima's light novel series. This adaptation of that light novel is drawn by Hibiki Kokonoe for Kodansha's Suiboi no Serious website, and it's been running since June 2017. One day, the supervisor in charge of watching over Earth, 
taking care of a distortion when they made a mistake that caused them to lose their physical body. But then she also got reincarnated to a different, less culturally advanced world. You know, she is not very happy with these turn of events, so she makes a demand. She wants the power to create potions at any time she pleases and whatever effect she wants them to have. And that doesn't even stop there. She asks for a magical item box, the ability to understand and speak every language and the same body she had back when she was a 15-year-old girl. And using these new form powers, she's trying to make a stable life for herself in a whole new world. So basically, she loses her physical body, but she gets to reincarnate in a whole new world younger and with a whole bunch of superpowers. So I think she actually got a pretty good deal there. But that series is uh, coming out, and Old Sir J. Noble Club is licensed. The magic in this utter world is too far behind. Based on Game Hitsuji's light novel series, drawn by Komta, who has been running this in Overlap's Comic Garden website since December 2016. This series is about Sui Mei and two of his best friends who find themselves mysteriously summoned to another world where there's a cute princess, a lot of magic, a demon lord, and a world that needs to be saved. Everything you would expect from a fantasy series, but the protagonist ain't interested in this. And even though his friends are into being heroes, Suimei just really wants to go home. But he has advantage as a magician, but he's in for a rude awakening when he finds out what actually passes for magic in these parts. So he might have magic, but his powers might not be all they're cracked up to be. Mm. See, that, and... that I, to I totally relate to that. Like, I'd be the guy who's like, guys, I just want to go home. I don't want to be a hero. It's a lot of work, and it's dangerous, you know? You gotta really think about it, if you ain't invincible. Like, like you guys go fight the Demon Lord, I'm gonna go play video games. Yeah, or at the very least, do something that isn't going to put my life in danger. I'm not prepared for it, I haven't trained for this, I can't just suddenly be a hero. Uh, this is too much pressure. Of course I'm just gonna play games, I, I can't handle the pressure. But regardless, uh, J Novel Club has also licensed another series called Animeta, which is by Yaso Hanamura, who has been publishing this series in Kodansha's monthly morning Matu magazine since July 2015. And this series is about a character called Miyuki Sonata, who seems to have just been living her life passively until one night she came across a certain late night anime that made her feel true passion for the first time in her life. And that series made her want to become an animator herself. But as she'll soon learn, being an animator is not all it's cracked up to be. There's a lot of harsh lessons and even harsher financial realities as Miyuki strives to make her dream come true. Now, this series is of particular interest to me, and I'm sure I'm <laughs> going to find it very relatable. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was going to say, when I when I saw this series, I, I couldn't help but like think of you. Um, yeah, I think this is probably the one I'm kind of interested the most out of the three. Most definitely. Previews of these series are all available on Jay Neville's website right now, so you can check out the first chapters of all of them on there. I definitely will check out the first chapter of Animeta shortly to see if it's a series that I'd want to pick up for myself and continue reading. But yeah, that's definitely the most interesting one f to me out of these three. But I think these are all three very interesting manga picks. And it's good to see J Novel Club license some more manga series.
Doesn't look like there's a release date for any of these titles just yet, but I'm sure there will be eventually. Mm-hmm. But that does it for licensing news, so let's wrap up with an interest piece. And with the incoming debut of Dragon Ball Super Broly to North American theaters, let's take a look back of how anime films have been doing in the box office recently. Because Box Office Mojo has ranked all the highest grossing films of 2018, and on that list are a couple anime related theatrical releases. And let's take a look at what were the highest grossing anime films in the North American box office in 2018. And by far and away, at the top ranked spot for all the anime films that came out in North America last year, overall ranked 149 was My Hero Academia 2 Heroes, which had a box office intake of over $5,750,000, running in about 535 theaters, which is an incredible gross, especially for how many theaters it's in, especially when you compare it to what's at number two here, which overall ranked at number 186, Mary and the Witch's Flower by G-Kids, that only had a box office intake of $2,418,000, and that ran in more theaters than My Year Academia 2 Heroes. So My Year Academia 2 Heroes had more than doubled the box office gross of Mary and the Witch's Flower, which was the second highest grossing anime film in the U.S. last year, which is pretty crazy. It just shows the power of MHK. A, that its theatrical film would grow so highly and be so successful, uh, by far and away above any other anime theatrical release. I'm kind of surprised how well it did compared to uh, Pokemon The Power of Us, which uh, which apparently screened in 999 theaters and didn't even make a million. Yes, we've discussed the box office gross for Pokemon The Power of Us before, but yes, that ran in almost a thousand theaters, but it didn't even gross a million. It only grossed $789,000, which was significantly less than the over 2.5 million that Pokemon I Choose You grossed last year. And I would attribute this to the lack of the nostalgia factor that was driving I Choose You last year, but... Also, probably not a strong marketing push. But yeah, I think it just goes to show you that even an established franchise like Pokemon that you would think would put butts in seats has nothing compared to MHA, which is the current hotness that is getting a lot of people into theaters to see that film. Uh, I guess, is there anything else you want to point out? Because I'm kind of looking through the list real quick. And um, there seems to be a lot of like... I, I, I'm not sure how many there are compared to, like, newer movies, but uh, I didn't realize, like, how many, like, anime films were, like, re-released in theaters, like, you know, not not even counting, like, all the Ghibli films that got re-released through, like, G-Kids and whatnot. Yeah, there were a lot of anime films that released theatrically last year. Really, I felt like I was watching one in a movie theater almost every week. It was quite great. There were so many theatrical releases last year. But yeah, to just count up some other notable highlights, the only other film that grossed over a million besides MHA and Marrying the Witch's Flower was Princess Mononoke, the re-release that G-Kids did back in July that garnered over a million four hundred thousand dollars and it was in about 754 theaters. So it was in even more theaters than MHA again, but 
it didn't gross nearly as much. But it is still pretty significant that Princess Mononoke did that well, considering it hasn't even been that long since the last re-release of that movie in North American theaters. Like, G-Kids released that in theaters in January 2017 too, so only a year and a half later. And it still did incredibly well on the box office gross. I mean, just kind of looking at the other Ghibli films that got re-released last year, um, I'm I'm kind of not surprised that was the only one to break a million because I'm I'm going to assume Princess Mononoke is probably like the most widely recognizable one compared to all the other ones. Spirited Away is the most recognizable, I think, but I don't see it on this list at all. And it's worth noting that not every anime film that was released in theaters last year is listed on this. They don't have the numbers for some films. Like, you'll see that they have two of the Digimon Tri films that were released in theaters last year, but they don't have the last one. So there are omissions there. And I'll be very curious to see how well Spirited Away did in comparison to Princess Mononoke, especially since this is like the third year in a row that that has been screened theatrically like in October, like they've done it since 2016 every year annually. So I want to see if that's been getting diminishing returns or if it's still holding strong. But I also want to point out that both of the Dragon Ball Z theatrical releases that they did last year did pretty respectively. Again, they were in more theaters than MHA, didn't gross nearly as much. Dragon Ball Z Broly only grossed about $650,000 running in 681 theaters. And Bardock and Fusion Reborn double feature, that even though that was in like 10 more theaters, that grossed even less at $540,000. But again, considering how widely available these movies are and considering that they are very old movies, it is pretty remarkable how well they did still for just re-releases of those films. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of disappointed that um, Mamoru Hosoda's Mirai didn't break a million, but you know, almost seven hundred thousand dollars is still a pretty good uh, sum, I think. So yeah, it's worth noting that like MHA is just an ins- insane success story, but like these grosses for most of these films are very respectable and pretty good numbers. Especially for releases that probably didn't last more than, like, maybe a couple of weeks, like, maybe two. Yeah, or were, like, one-night or two-night showings in the case of many of them. Like, to put it in context, like, Dragon Ball Z Broly and Dragon Ball, both of those Dragon Ball Z theatrical screenings they did, those were only two-night showings, one showing a day, right? So think about it. Only two showings of this across theaters across the country, and they made that much. So that is pretty significant. You got to think about that in comparison to MHA2 Heroes, which had, in many cases, multiple showtimes a day in many theaters. Same for Marrying the Witch's Flower. But I think that's about it to talk about these box office grosses. I am sad to not see the Sailor moon films uh numbers listed on here because i would like to see how well they had done but hopefully we will see those numbers at some point but in general a pretty interesting results but i think with that out of the way let's talk about our best of manga in 2018 
All right. All right. I'm actually pretty excited for this. Um, So I guess we'll just start off by talking about the podcast this year, huh? Or last year. Sure thing. We have a few podcast categories that we always like to go over. And let's start off. Let's intro our best of manga podcast. We're talking about our favorite podcast intros of 2018. All right. Yeah. Um, Not as many like this year as I think we had like the year before, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I could like start off with my favorite here from from the past year. Um, so see, see, it's hard because, uh, and, and I don't know if like, I don't know if Lums noticed this, but, um, uh, so in our survey, uh, we do have a question pertaining to like what your guys' favorite, like intro skits were from certain episodes. Um, you totally forgot to put in, uh, the skit I did where, uh, where Maxi kidnapped us. Oh my god, how did I forget that? I need to add that back into the survey. That was an amazing intro. I I, I already did that. Um, I, I also put in, um, I wasn't sure about this one at first, but I also put in the one where uh, Josh had his really, really short review of uh, Devilman. <laughs> oh yeah, that was good. Um, but yeah, I, I did a double check and I don't, th- I don't think there's any, any like si- really, really significant ones that weren't just music cues that like we missed or anything. Um, but yeah, like honestly, uh, the, the, the one where Maxi kidnaps us is probably my favorite one. Uh, just because like, it, it's one of those things where like, you, you just kind of started off with a bit and then I was just kind of like, how can I go even further with this? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it gave me, it gave me a lot of opportunity to kind of play around with what you kind of threw out there. But, but I guess like in terms of intros that like I came up with like completely on my own, I would have to say that like, uh, the one I did for our Astro Lost in Space episode, like way earlier in the year last year, um, I think is probably my favorite one just because it's, cause you know, we, we, we had a lot of intros like the year before where like where I would basically like really try to set the mood of the episode. And again, I'm, I feel kind of sad that we didn't have a lot of those this year, but I think in terms of like just setting the atmosphere for what we're talking about in an ep- in any one given episode, I, I thought I did a, I th- not to pat myself on the back too much, but I thought I did a pretty good episode, uh, a pretty good job on that Astra uh, intro. Yeah. I really enjoy that one. And man, you're right. I can't believe I forgot about that Maxi kidnapping us one. That was an amazing <laughs> opening. I was I was insanely proud of that one too. Yeah. Oh man. There are a lot of good ones, I thought, that we did last year. To say my favorite though, the one that I revisited the most was the one I did for at movies number twelve, the Gintama live action movie one. That one is pretty good. Because I definitely re-listen to that a lot of times. Because it may it entertains me even just like how insane that one was, where we had like we brought back Maximus as a returning character from At Movies Number Eight when he interrupted us several times during that episode. He returns again, and he has the Prince uh, Baka music back in him. There are a bunch of fun music cues and just a, a fun little sketch. I really enjoy that one. Yeah, that one in particular is pretty good because, like, you know, obviously with us talking about the live action Gintama movie, like, it really sets the, it, it really fits the Gintama mood, uh, which is pretty great too. 
But yeah, I definitely uh, the Astro one was really good, and the Maxi kidnapping one was really good. But I really liked a lot of oh, a lot of them. All the ones that we did last year, even if we didn't do them on every episode, I really enjoyed. Mm hmm. Yeah, because there there were um, because I I was also counting. We only had like nine full series reviews last year, uh, which I thought was interesting. But um, uh, you know, with that being said, like you know, not only did I did I personally not always have like the opportunity to put in an intro, but like, I don't know, like I've really, I like, I really kind of missed 2017 in that, in that aspect, because it's like, I really felt like I was on a, on a roll with those for a while, but lately, like, I just haven't really had a lot of ideas for intros other than just use the most fitting music, which, you know, if, like, like for stuff like, uh, see, 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 now I'm thinking, I wonder if, I'm wondering if we should count, like, the World Trigger one now, too, because it's not really, like, a full intro, but I still think, like, I still feel like the, like, the what little effects I kind of put in there with kind of, like, putting, using reverb on your voice, and, uh, I, I actually took, uh, the, some of the same sound effects that, uh, Wensleydale used in the World Trigger to Bridge series, uh, for that, uh, for the Trigger transformation, I don't think I'm not sure if anyone is like caught on to that at all. I I just thought that that'd be a nice like little connection to that there. That is a neat touch. Yeah. So, uh like I I thought about counting stuff like that, but again, it's not really like a full intro, but like I really I like it's just one of those things where like I I I'm really kind of proud of the editing I did for like certain stuff like that, but again, it's not really like a full skit, so, you know. I think we could count it cuz there is a lot of editing stuff put into that, even if it's not like a big skit or anything. Mm. I, I, I guess I guess the point I'm trying to get to is that, like, you know, I, I just haven't really had a lot of ideas for, like, for uh, intros this year. Uh, I keep saying this year. It still feels like 2018. <laughs> um, I just haven't really had a lot of ideas for intros. Um, I'm hope I'm hoping more ideas come to me maybe this year. Yeah, I mean, 2019 has only begun, so who knows what creative stuff we can come up with. Yeah, because that, that, that's kind of become, like, my favorite part of editing Manga Mavericks in particular, is that sometimes I, I'll have enough ideas and I'll have enough room to kind of play with those ideas, and those basically end up relating to some of my favorite podcasts, so. Mm-hmm. But now let's talk about our favorite podcast thumbnails of 2018. Yeah, so th that's kind of a new thing we've been doing recently, or I, I should say you've been doing since uh, you've kind of taken it upon yourself to try and draw more of our thumbnails recently. Yeah, I think that originally drawn thumbnails are fun to do, and they give a nice flavor and identity, and you come up, I can come up with some creative ideas that are fun to draw. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to draw them for every episode since I've started, but I want to continue to try and keep doing them going forward. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, but even also the photoshopped thumbnails that I've been doing and we've been doing have also been fun in several ways. I also have fun photoshopping, like trying to make nice image collages or combine elements with photoshop and whenever i can to make something very interesting and of course there are times where we don't have time to draw or make something that takes a while to edit so we just use this one image and call it a day but 
Yeah, and sometimes sometimes I'll kind of come in and slap a couple of things together, and there you go. It, it, it looks fine, but it doesn't look... It, it's not meant to look, like, remarkable. It, it just kind of... It's an eye-catching image that people will see, and they'll be like, oh, I want to click on this now because there's an image. <laughs> yeah, but I think originally drawn art is more interesting to do, and I enjoy doing it, so I want to continue doing that. Hopefully, we'll, that there'll be more episodes of the podcast this year. Eventually, hopefully, every episode will have an originally drawn thumbnail. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I can go first real quick. I guess when I think about like my favorite thumbnails from uh, from the past, like I guess like at least a couple of months or so, I, I I think the one that kind of sticks out to me is the one that you drew for our two heroes episode. I I thought you did a really great job of just drawing this really crazed, insane Maxi. <laughs> Yeah, that's really great. He has, he has pretzels for, for pupils in his eyes. He's <laughs> very greedily, hungrily looking at the soft pretzel I'm holding in my hands, clutched in my hands, frightened by his maddened expression. Yeah. I just, lo- I just love how, like, freaked out and uncomfortable everybody looks. Yeah, like, I like how I drew a Deku. I, I referenced the manga for an expression like that, but I do think it's really funny. Yeah, I, I thought I thought you I thought you drew Deku and All Might pretty well. Like I I thought um like I I like I really thought you like conveyed their uncomfortableness like really well. It it always makes me chuckle when I like look at the image again. Yeah, thank you. I yeah that one I really enjoy. I thought that was a good concept. You know, I really enjoyed a lot of the ones I draw. I mean, I like all the ones I drew because you know I put time into it and I feel satisfied with how they came out but i think the one that i liked the most was the one i did for teenage renaissance david and i'm from japan and it's a very simple one it's just japan grabbing david by the shoulder and asking where he's from but i think that it was just such a funny kind of gag this one panel gag you see where like japan's asking david where he's from because he's he's so interesting looking and japan's so excited and david all he can say is like um florence you know where the actual statue is from <laughs> so i i really enjoy that one and that one i saw got a lot of positive response too with people really enjoying that so i think i'll go with that one man i i almost kind of wish that like that would happen in like a crossover yeah, yeah. I, I want that to be a crossover. I think that would actually be a really, really funny one. Yeah, that, that that would be pretty great. Um, No, I, I like that one too. And yeah, I, I saw that it's been getting a lot of uh, positive reception uh, from our listeners, which is good. Um, it, it's, it's just a funny idea in general. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing like where we can go with our thumbnails as well. Mm-hmm. Look forward to more. But now we're going to talk about our favorite podcast reviews of 2018. And as Culture mentioned earlier, though, we didn't actually have a lot of full series reviews we did last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's been mostly like, like, it, it's been a combination of like full series reviews, a lot of like jumpstart discussions, and um, a, a, a huge string of like news only episodes because uh, s- some some plans of ours kind of fell through in like in those strings of months, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting year as far as like the variety of uh, episodes we've put out. Anyway, so so here here I'll, I'll let you go first. What what what's what's your favorite podcast review from twenty eighteen? 
Devil man, for sure. I thought our conversation with Josh was really enlightening about kind of the history of that series and Go Nagai as a creator and his inspirations and how all of that fed into Devil Man and his talking about Go Nagai's philosophy as it's explored through Devil Man and his other works and like how his other works relate to Devil Man, the evolution of that series. I just thought our conversation was Josh about that was just incredibly enlightening and in- interesting for me because I talking with Josh. I felt I was learning so much about Gona Guy, but also exploring the teens. I think we did that in an extremely articulate way and got to a lot of what made that manga such a classic and just why it is so fascinating and really worth critically examining. And Devilman was a property that really blew up in popularity and discourse last year, thanks to Devilman Crybaby. But I think that the original manga has so much to discuss about it just in and of itself, like even beyond the adaptation of Pry Baby. Like the, that original manga is just fascinating. Go Nagai is a fascinating creator. And I thought we talked a lot about what made that work so special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty good discussion too. Like really anytime we have Josh on, is, it, it usually makes for a good discussion. Um, but um yeah, this was kind of hard for me because, uh, man, there there were a few I really wanted to pick, but like, I mean, look, I just wanna, I just wanna put out there, twenty eighteen is already a good year because, like, I got to talk about Sket Dance, so like, mm-hmm. you know, y- y- you would think that'd be my favorite episode, right? And it's one of my favorite episodes because, again, I get to talk about Sket Dance. It's literally one of my favorite comics ever made. Yeah, I mean, we started off twenty eighteen with that, so it started off on a great note. Oh yeah. And yeah, I mean, I won't go on too much about that. If you want to listen to it, it's out there. Um, but no, I have to say that my favorite podcast review from 2018 actually has to be our Bakuman episode. That's actually, I've, I've re-listened to that episode a lot because I, I really think we had a really good discussion about Bakuman in general. And it, it meant so much to me because like, usually when I like reread a series for the show that I've already read before, like my opinions don't usually change that much about it, but I but I still like get so much more from my second time reading a thing. Bakuman was an interesting experience because like I I can't say that I didn't get anything out of it, but like because you know obviously we talked about it on the show that like Bakuman really meant something to the both of us in our more formative years as teenagers, you know, as people who you know, hadn't been into manga for super long at that point, but, like, we didn't necessarily have, like, I want to say the, the, I guess, the most knowledge on, like, the industry, or at least, or at least I didn't, um, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't, I don't know how you were at 18, but, you know, <laughs> 18-year-old Colton didn't really know shit about the industry, like, like, I, I, I vividly remember seeing a report on CNN about, like, I I, th- I think around the time, like, Dragon Ball Kai was a thing, and, like, when, uh, like, this was also before, like, One Piece hit its time skip or whatever, you know, just, like, uh, this this report about how, like, how really terrible the conditions animators were back then, and arguably kind of still now in certain places, um, and just kind of thinking, wow, this is what happened, like, I can't believe I'm pirating this thing that, like, you know, these people barely get paid to make, like, I actually felt really super terrible about it. And that's, and that's kind of what led to me, like, basically pirating less. 
And I, I kind of had that same, I guess, revelation with manga where it's like, you know, the first time I read Bakuman, you know, no matter how I feel about it now, like that scene with, with uh, Morishita, you know, he's, you know, with him in the hospital, basically, you know, almost to his dying breath, like trying to uh, finish up his manuscript or whatever, even in the hospital, like, you know, that, that, that scene, that scene still kind of speaks to me and is probably still like my favorite part of Bakuman. But it's just kind of interesting that, like, Bakuman kind of became, like, I don't know, like, I, I came out of it, like, not liking it as much as I used to, which I thought was interesting. Um, and just and just in general, like, I think we really had a good discussion with both Sam and Nick on. But, you know, we, we've never had them on, like, together before, so I, I thought that made for a really interesting combination, because obviously Sa- Sam's a little more positive, and then Nick absolutely just hated <laughs> yeah. reading, which, well, it. Was so, it was, yeah. That was what was really great about it, is that we had Sam there as someone who was optimistic about the series and had a lot of positive takes on it, but then we also had Nick there, who had was just nothing but negativity, <laughs> but from a very well-justified place. Yeah. Which was really fun. Yeah, it was just an interesting experience to, like, really try to find, the uh, like, what little good there really is in Bakuman through all the, like, unfortunately, all the really negative aspects that are really, really hard to overlook and you can't really defend almost at all. So, um, but no, like, uh, just in terms of, like, our full series discussions, like, I think... I mean, I mean, the fact that I've listened to it like so many times at this point, like I think really shows that like it's I think it's personally the most interesting conversation about one series that we've had like all year last year to me personally. It was a great conversation for sure. I really enjoy that one, even though it was also bittersweet because of how vitriolic we were towards Pokemon, like especially me and Nick, like we were just fuming about it, but Again, it was it was very justified, though. Yeah, definitely. But I think it was very important to give Bakuman that kind of critical reexamination and talk about just what doesn't work about it anymore, but then reflect also on what it meant to us and like how there are still things we can hold on to that were positive from it. I think that one thing that I wish we had done is that we had gotten, you know, a female guest on to talk about the sexism in that series. And I definitely could think of like a lot of people we could have gotten on for that just afterwards. But overall, still, I thought it was a very strong episode. Yeah, I I, I think we did as well as we could have on that front anyway. Um but no, I, I I do agree we could have maybe gotten another perspective on that in particular. But it was it still turned out to be a really good episode, I thought. So Definitely. Um, but now I guess it's time to talk about our favorite podcast moments of 2018. Yeah. So I think that the MHA Two Heroes episode had a lot of really funny and great moments. <laughs> Again, Maxi being flabbergasted and jealous at the fact that North American theaters have soft pretzels was incredibly hilarious. And <laughs> I really, really enjoyed that bit where Maxie was just like incredibly like amazed at the fact that we have better concessions than just stale popcorn. 
which was very funny. I also enjoyed how me and Maxie ranted about the uh, tie-in filler episode to two movies and how we got so upset at how lame and dumb it was. I thought that was also a fun bit of the conversation, too. So I think those two moments were a lot of fun, really fun. And also, I think every time that Wheelord is suddenly in the room and we acknowledge him and then we tell him to get out is really funny. Yeah, that's 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 kind of becoming like my favorite running gag now. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of expecting it every episode now. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Like I Maxie's like genuine surprise at that revelation was pretty great. Um, I know I'm kind of cheating here, but like, you know. I still kind of count it as a moment on the podcast, but him quote unquote kidnapping me at the beginning of episode 51 is still like one of the, I think really one of the funniest things to happen on the show uh, last year. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just so great. I love, I love re-listening to that, but um, I guess something we haven't mentioned already as um, I don't want to say it was like embarrassing, but like it was, it was very telling like how terrible my memory was that, uh, on episode 59, you quizzed me on uh, different characters from The Promised Neverland, and I'm just like, I, I don't know I don't know any of these people. Oh, yeah, that was me. That was one of my backup moments I have on my list here. But yes, like, were you trying to guess where characters placed in The Promised Neverland popularity poll? And you being so surprised that Phil ranked so high was really funny. Oh, um, that was that was pretty good. Um, I I promise by the time we actually get to talking about the Promised Neverland on the show, I will have reread it. So I so I'm not a complete and total idiot when I try to talk about it. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, that that was that was that was still pretty funny though. Yeah, there were a lot of good moments, but yeah, I think that we had a lot of really funny ones towards the latter half of the year, especially. But you know, maybe that's also just because those are fresher in my mind, but. Yeah, I, I thought we had some really funny moments this year. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I guess, like, I, I, me- I meant to ask this before we kind of, like, uh, started our categories. But, like, I, I don't I guess, how do you feel about the podcast, like, overall uh, from 2018? Like, I, I feel like we've had some, uh, we, we've had a lot of really cool guests on. And um, I'm, I, I'm trying to, like, think off the top of my head, like, I feel like we haven't had a lot of, like, new guests on the show. We had Marlene, we had Wensleydale, and those, I think, were the only two new guests on the main show. And then, well, I don't know if we could really count them as new guests, considering I recorded those episodes in 2017, but the results of Jace appeared on very briefly on some Mad Movies episodes. But Wensleydale and Marlene were like the only two new guests I think we had on the show this year. But we had pretty much all our returning guests from 2017 back as well. So we had more guests overall. And we still have plenty of people from like, you know, the industry to still come on the show, which I thought was which I thought was nice. Indeed, Annalisa and Jeff. Well, was really happy to talk to them and have them on the show. I've also personally really enjoyed having Maxi on the show more like he's basically become an honorary maverick at this point. Really, he has. There was an entire stretch where I think he was on every other episode, like since the middle of the year, really. Um, I'm I'm hoping maybe we can uh maybe we can uh hopefully do that with Bomber at some point. We we need to have him on more. I feel like we only have him on like maybe like 
Well, no, we, we had him on, I think, three times. Yeah, we did have him on a lot of times. We had him on Assassination Classroom. We had him on Sleepy Princess. You had him on both of the new episodes where you recorded news with him. That's true. That's true. I, I did do that. Um, I personally have really enjoyed like a lot of our like Cancel Jump series discussions this year. I think Takamakahara and uh, 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 Stealth Symphony, I think, were the only ones. I'm pretty sure those were the only ones. Um, I'm hoping to do more of those if 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 we have the chance uh, this coming year because I really I I like I think those are some of my favorite podcasts to do. Yeah, and hopefully I can join you for another one of those because Crossmatch is ranking highly in the survey right now as far as suggestions people want us to see us to read, and I love that series. So yeah, look forward to covering more of those. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think overall it's, it's, it's been a good year for the show, even if say like, again, like at the beginning of the year, we, we had a bit of trouble actually trying to get the show out or. Actually, I, I forgot. We had Chris also on last that's year. True, that's true. That's true. We, we had three new guests last year. That's true. I, I did forget about him. Sorry, Chris, if you're listening. Um, oh, that was a, see, like, uh, I, I think that's probably my second favorite episode of the podcast actually is probably the. Dragon Ball Super episode we did, actually. That ended up being a really great listen. I think I've listened to that twice now, actually. Wow, thank you. You you did a, you did a really great job editing that episode in particular. I, I thought you did a lot of great work on that. It's probably the best edited episode in terms of all the extra stuff you kind of put in, so... Thank you. I wanted to make it special, and I'm glad that it was been so well-received, though I still wish that I had gotten it out sooner than I did. But hey, at least I think it was worth the wait. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think I think it's been a good year for the podcast. It's it's been a it's been a very interesting year for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, ho- hopefully, hopefully we could do just a few more full series reviews this year. Yep, and that's what our survey is for. It's choosing a bunch of series that we want to cover on the show this year, and we're letting you, the audience, decide which series those will be. So hopefully we'll have a lot more series for you for your guys. And I still think that 2018 is probably the best year of the podcast yet. I think there was a lot of growth, and we had a lot of great episodes, and I'm hoping 2019 will continue our growth and will be even better. All right, but I think we should start uh, moving on to some manga stuff. That's right, and let's talk to start off with about the best manga news stories of 2018, because 2018 was also a really great year for manga and the industry in general, and there were a lot of exciting and awesome things that happened. So, Colton, what do you feel were the best news stories of 2018? Honestly, um, I, I had a hard time choosing uh about a month ago but like i mean if you ask me now like i really do think that the evolution of shonen jump from last year uh honestly is probably like the most exciting news story to me like i really cannot think like anything else that i thought i was excited for like i've kind of forgotten about at this point because like i was just so excited to see that shonen jump that you know while while they weren't doing their digital magazine anymore they were basically just increasing the quality of their service what with you know getting free chapters of over 20 simul published series that they're doing and also the ability to read all their backlog for two dollars like i literally cannot think of another news story 
from last year that excited me as much as the announcement of their subscription service. That relaunch was really big, and the press it generated has been outstanding. It's gotten people who have not been reading Shonen Jump into reading Shonen Jump. It's generating a lot of buzz. People are now seeing great, oh, if I subscribe to this service, I can read all Dragon Ball and Naruto and My Hero Academia. That's awesome. Like, people who didn't realize that Viz had already been putting out Shonen Jump issues and already been simul-publishing these series are now discovering shonen jump the site because of this new relaunch and because of how accessible it's made reading these chapters now it's made reading shonen jump manga now so it was i think the biggest news and the hugest news of 2018 for sure because of how the positive effect it's already having on the industry i think already having off for fandom and the community and getting more people into it but definitely, there were also other really great stories from 2018 as well. Definitely, we want to mention the debut of a new manga publisher, Dempa, by Ed Chavez, former Vertical editor. And that was incredible because, again, a new publisher, and not only is there a new name in the game, but they made a big name for themselves by having Kaiji being one of their announced debut titles, one of the series that they've licensed that are going to be putting out this year. And Kaiji is something people have been wanting to see released over here for a long time. It's a big deal. And I'm looking forward to it. And I know that a lot of fans are looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. But not only that, Denpa has licensed a lot of really eclectic and interesting series like Inside Mari, stuff by Hiroyuki Asada, and today's menu for the Emiya family, a whole assortment and a range of eclectic titles. So they've got a really cool and unique debut lineup. They're a cool new publisher. I'm really interested in seeing how, how they'll grow in the future. And again, I think that, you know, is, is just big news that there's another manga publisher in the game in capable hands and bring out some series that the other publishers haven't been touching, but have been long awaited for many years. But also one other story that I have to mention is the satisfaction of Rumiko Takahashi finally being inducted into the Eisner Hall of Fame. Five times she has been nominated. Finally, she has been inducted. Well worth it because of how insanely influential she is, how many people she's inspired all over the world to become comics artists, how many people she has entertained with her series. She is well deserving of the honor, and I was incredibly satisfied to see that she was finally inducted. So that was another story that I just had to mention. Yeah, that that's that's definitely something worth mentioning. I was I was I was very happy for her uh, and you when I heard that news. But a lot of the news that was also very exciting from 2018 was new licensing news, and we already mentioned Kaiji. But let's also talk about some of the other best new North American manga licenses of 2018. You see, I, I kind of can't believe I forgot that Kaiji got announced in 2018, because, <laughs> like, that really should have been my pick. In fact, I'm going to make that, like, at least one of my picks, because I'm kind of ashamed that I forgot about that one. Um, I, and, I, and I'm sure that, like... See, this is this is like the one problem with getting too many licensed manga is that I 
I seriously cannot keep track of all the stuff that we have talked about on this show. It is really insane. That's what's so nice about the podcast breakdowns. It's a handy list of all the news stories we talk about in every episode. Though oftentimes we just say, oh, a new tidal wave of Seven Seas licenses. What are those licenses? Uh, you have to actually listen to the segment to figure out what those were. So that also makes going back and trying to figure out all that stuff very hard. But also, yeah, you'll be surprised at just how many licenses were made last year. Like, I've tried to write them all down. I was doing research, but there were like 60 a quarter. Like, there's definitely been over 100 at least new licenses made in last year alone, if not more. Uh, but I think uh, the, the, the pick that I had before Kaiji uh, came into my mind was actually Beastars. Um the B Stars is a series that like I've seen like so many people uh in my circles talk about for at least a year or two at this point. And like I've always been interested in checking it out. And obviously I, I never really got to it because like it wasn't licensed and in twenty eighteen Viz licensed it. So um now we finally have the chance to read it legally and I hope maybe we can like talk about it on the show at some point if we have the time, so Definitely. That's also tracking very highly in the survey and that it's a, another title that I have also heard extremely great things about. It's been very highly recommended on the Manga Machinations podcast and from a lot of people in general. So I am extremely looking forward to finally reading this series. And yeah, it's just an amazing license from Viz. And Viz had a lot of amazing licenses this year. And of course, my top favorite was their announcement that they will be re-releasing Yours the Yatsura in its entirety for the first time in North America starting like next month. And that, of course, is extremely exciting news to me considering Yours the Yatsura is my favorite manga. And I am so over the moon, so excited, so happy to see it get a proper re-release with a new translation and beautiful omnibus editions. I cannot wait for that. It is just, oh, so exciting. But also, it's exciting because it is another Shonen Sunday series that they are putting out, and they also announced another Shonen Sunday series that they have licensed, and that is Komi Can Communicate, one of the most popular titles currently running in Shonen Sunday that has been getting a lot of buzz. Bomber has praised it highly, and I've always enjoyed reading his thoughts on chapters of the series in his blog, and I'm glad that finally it is going to get an official release from this. It'll be translated, put out over here. Can't wait to read that series for myself because it looks just so cute, adorable, and a lot of fun. So that's another pick that I'm excited for. And then finally, of course, I'm a fan of Leiji Matsumoto and 7Z has been doing a great job bringing over his stuff. And Space Battleship Yamato is coming out this year, the manga, finally, for the first time ever in Automaker, and I am looking forward to reading that as well. But that's stuff to look forward to. Stuff announced in 2018 will be coming out this year to look forward to. But there were a lot of exciting new North American manga graphic novel releases in 2018 itself that were highly anticipated by us. And now it's time to talk about what we read and what we enjoyed. I guess I can just kind of get mine out of the way because unfortunately I, I don't buy a ton of like new releases. Um, 
actually the uh the only three new releases i bought in 2018 uh were definitely i think the first the first volume of astra came out in 2018 didn't it no it came out at the end of 2017 december 2017 but you can count that for sure because most of it came out in 2018 all right, I'll count it. Um, I know Dr. Stone came out in 2018. I definitely bought the first volume of that because I, I have to support Inagaki as uh, he is responsible for another favorite of mine, Ice Shield. Um, but I have to say that my favorite release from 2018 that I did buy was the first volume of Devilman from Seven Seas. Yes. Was that was that your pick too? Oh yeah, Devilman was my pick as well because that was a beautiful hardcover release. Lit a lot of cool color pages inside. They also had the Shin Devilman included in that, which was a very interesting addition to complement, you know, the original Devilman story and had some interesting things to pick apart, you know, when contrasting it with that. The Devilman manga definitely is my top pick for new North American releases in 2018. That is just a beautiful manga with engaging, gripping story. Yeah, I I really need to get on picking up the second volume of that, because I still haven't yet. I also really want to get to, eventually get to um, the other titles that Seven Seas has kind of collected for their uh, for their classics lineup. Um, like, I think they picked up, I know they picked up Cutie Honey, um, and I'm did they pick up Captain Harlock? Was that something they picked up? Yes, I have that right next to me on my desk. Oh man, I, I I'd be interested in checking that out. Um, but no, yeah, I I really need to check out more of their classics line uh, when I get the chance because like I I really like if all if all the titles on that line are just as high quality as their Devilman releases, I have to buy more of those. Oh yeah. They're great hardcover editions with great paper quality. And of course, these manga are classics. So yeah, they, they're just doing an amazing job with them. There are plenty of great, you know, theories that I also want to highlight. Unfortunately, and I also, unlike Holden, I do buy a lot, but <laughs> I still haven't read everything. Like I have a pile of books on my desk that I still need to pile through. It's stuff that has been on here for months that I really need to just read already. But I still did read quite a many number of series. And one, of course, I want to highlight that did really personally touch me was My Solo Exchange Diary by Nagata Kabi. And of course, I really loved My Lesbian Experience of Loneliness. That was, you know, a great, you know, examination of depression and kind of social anxiety and the idea of loneliness and like how to grapple with it from Kabi's like firsthand accounts. And my solo exchange diary is just kind of a continuation of that. And it's really interesting because it's also, you know, exploring kind of the aftermath of her publishing my lesbian experience with loneliness and kind of grappling with the success of that, but also kind of the insecurities that success has given her. But uh, like the most like kind of, touching part of that or like the part that like really fascinated most was like when she recounts her relationship that she gets into when she starts dating another woman and you know she, it first it's it seems great because you know she's found someone to be in a relationship with but then she kind of realizes that she doesn't really love this person 
like in strong way romantically and that causes all sorts of awkwardness especially as she has to write about these experiences in this manga and to me i really want to see like how that turns out but like kind of like these kind of raw uncomfortable awkward emotions and situations that kabi kind of goes through and discusses like it, it really hurts to read because of how relatable a lot of it can be, but it's also very gripping manga and, and like autobiography storytelling. So I really, really enjoy that book. And also another title that was highly anticipated by me was Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. I've been wanting to read more of that series ever since we recapped the Jumpstart run way back when it first debuted. And the graphic novel releases that were put out finally by Viz last year. And they are indeed just incredible reads. Like, Demon Slayer is just a really, really gripping story with, like, some really interesting art. And I love kind of, like... Like how Gotoge draws like the demon characters and kind of the mystery, how that is unfolding with Kibitsuji and how she's building him up like as this like boss of demons and like this super powerful figure. And also kind of like it's a very brutal manga in terms of like the desperation to survive is just always present in every battle. And it is kind of like this harsh, unrelenting world, uh, kind of like Hunter Hunter, in which like it's very unforgiving. Like in the examination that Tanjiro takes to become a demon slayer, like there are only five survivors out of like a hundred kids. Like all the other those other kids are dead; they were eaten by demons. Like it's a harsh world. But even though it there's so much bleakness, even though it is a very dark story, like there's still a lot of great humor. A lot of it coming from characters like Zenitsu and uh, Inosuke, who are riots. They're great supporting cast members who are also very endearing in their own ways. Like Zenitsu is such a coward. He's like really an Usopp-like character in that he's so cowardly. But when it comes to down to protecting people that he cares about or you know even fighting for what other people care about like he does have a heart of gold and does have the courage to stand up for what's right and i really enjoy characters like that and anusuke is also just a lot of fun because he's just this rash wild boy and is just so delightful this cast of characters uh so demon slayer is really great i really really want more of it to read ASAP. I, I'm glad that it's being simul-published now, though, of course, the 100-chapter gap is kind of frustrating because, like, I want to read everything that happens in between. <laughs> so, looking forward to more of that. And then, of course, I also want to mention uh, Saint Seiya Saint to Show, which I was very happy that Seven Seas licensed and put out because I love Saint Seiya. I also have been looking forward to reading this manga for a long time because... It's focusing on an underexplored aspect of the series, or at least, you know, the original Saint Seiya does not put much attention on its female characters or female saints, but this is a series all about the female saints, and there's some retconning involved, but even so, like, I really find the cast of characters compelling, the art is gorgeous, it's like this perfect compromise between adhering to Kuramata's designs, but also having a very distinct shoujo magical girl-esque feel to it, and... 
I just find it a very compelling story. I'm glad that the anime has also come out. And yeah, just another series that I really enjoy reading. And then finally, just because I also... We mentioned Devilman earlier, but I also mentioned that I started reading Devilman G. And I think I guess that technically came out in 2017 towards the end of that. But I started reading it in 2018 after Devilman. And I, I find that series a lot of fun too. Because it's, it's not... It's <laughs> interested in exploring teams as much as Devilman. It's very much more of a pulpy, trashy kind of series, but it's a lot of fun in how indulgent it is in its violence and sex and all that kind of stuff. And I enjoy reading it, and I would recommend it as like this fun, alternative, comedic-ish take on Devilman. Uh, but I'll stop there, even though I, I could probably go on, but there's still uh, more categories to cover. So we'll move on to those. Well, actually, let's uh, on the subject related to graphic novels, let's talk about our favorite graphic novel covers of 2018. And I will cycle back to my solo exchange diary in that I find that cover very striking because of like how what it represents. Like we see Kabi like just lying in bed. There's another woman on top of her, but she doesn't look happy. She looks like kind of confused and anxious. And it just kind of goes back into the themes of that, you know, series. Uh in that like Kabi is just still feels this loneliness that she doesn't know how to deal with and that she's grappling with. And you know, she's throwing a pen she has a pen in hand. She has like paper by herself, she's like she's writing, drawing, it's all sorts of things around her bed. I really like this the cover and like kind of how well it represents kind of like the emotional state of copy and like her anxieties. And like how, you know, the person lying on top of her is like kind of like a naked reflection of herself. I I guess my my pick uh, again is gonna have to be uh the Devilman collection. Mo- mostly because I I guess I'm kind of cheating because I'm using both covers, uh, the covers for the first and second volume. Uh, I just kind of like how they contrast with each other. Whereas, like, you know, the first volume of the Seven Seas Devilman release is, you know, Devilman himself. While, you know, on the next volume you have you have Acura, and I, I just kind of I just kind of like that contrast between the between the two volumes. Yeah, those covers really complement each other well, and I love, like, kind of the simplistic design of them, too. Those are really great. Uh, another highlight I want to mention is uh, the Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs covers, and not necessarily just for the covers themselves, which are, you know, characters uh, depicted on each cover, but kind of, like, on the inside of the cover. So, like, under the cover is, like, like in a lot of Japanese volumes, like, uh, you know, they have, like, these uh, flip covers or, like, these like, paper covers that they have on top of the volume that you can peel off. And then there will be, like, a design underneath. So, like, with One Piece covers, if you take off, like, the wraparound cover, like, underneath, you'll there'll be, like, kind of cameo as a panda man in, like, the image, cover image. So, like, the Seven Seas kind of retain something really nice with these Yuna with their Yuna releases and that like so underneath the covers of the of the Yuna books you'll see like the cover image but it'll be like the girl undressed and uh, like wearing skimpy clothes and looking like weirdly embarrassed and I just kind of find that really funny like how the cover image is kind of like played with like that like you have this cover and then you flip open the book and you see that image but the character is undressed and looking kind of awkward so i thought i thought that was really funny 
Uh, and then I guess some other covers. The Mob Psycho cover. The Mob Psycho 100 cover I think is really nice. You know, just with Mob standing in a city. Buildings crumbling around him. Rocks around him. Very representative of Mob Psycho 100. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of good covers. Uh, but I think that we'll talk about something else that is very nice to look at. Something very colorful. And those are the best color pages of 2018 from the manga that we're currently reading. I think one of my favorite color pages of last year was the color illustration for One Piece chapter 902, which has like the Sweet Busters cover, which is like showing Luffy and the Straw Hats like kind of fighting like these candy monsters, uh, you know, and like they, they kind of have like Ghostbusters-esque attire while they're doing that. I just find that a very charming illustration. I also really like the color page for We Never Learn Chapter 50, which, you know, to celebrate its 50th chapter, the color pages for that, like, uh, reflect kind of, like, key uh, introduction panels for, like, each of the characters when they were, like, first introduced. Like, not exactly the first panel they appeared them, but, like, like a key moment from their introductions. Uh, so I thought that was a really nice way to celebrate this we never learned like 50 a chapter and i thought the composition of those two page color pages were really nice and i also like the color page for the promised neverland chapter 84 which shows kind of like all the kids in goldie pond kind of like drowning really like emma is like kind of gasping for air but like you see like the goldie pond kind of like sinking and all the characters from there kind of sinking it's like a very kind of desperate cover that really reflects kind of the situation that those characters were in in that arc but also is like clever foreshadowing to how that arc ends a couple chapters ahead of when it actually happens so quite enjoy that as well and i would say overall promise neverland and one piece had a lot of amazing color pages this year that I really enjoyed. It's kind of hard to just choose just a couple from them because both of those series are really great at making some really illustrative color pages that are just a joy to, you know, look at and really beautiful illustrations. Mm, yeah, I definitely agree with uh, The Promised Neverland, especially. That was actually uh, the, the color page you mentioned was probably going to be my second pick because uh, I really liked that one. Um, this one was kind of hard because, like, I, I really kind of had to reach back over the year and really kind of think about, like, what color pages really stood out to me. And, um, you know, th this one's not entirely, like, you know, I wouldn't say it's, like, anything, like, special or anything. But, like, I really enjoyed the two-page color spread from uh, from Chapter 180 of Black Clover in particular, actually. Mm. Uh, it's basically just a group shot of uh, Yami, Nozelle, uh, Mario Leona, and... Uh, Mr. Slasher guy, because I don't remember his name. Uh, but, um, uh, Mr. Slasher guy, are you referring to Zora or? No, not Zora. The, 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 the guy from the very first chapter. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Whatever his name was. Um, it's not important. Um, <laughs> I, you know, like the, the actual like illustration itself isn't really like anything special. It's basically just all four of them going in with their, with their attacks and whatnot, but like something about the color just makes it so, um, just makes it so like nice to look at. Like there's clearly a lot of action going on on the page, but like 
the the colors are also very soothing at the same time like I really like the greens used and um I really like the uh the combination of orange and red used for uh, Mario Leona in particular like I don't know just just the colors in particular are just really nice to look at even though it's clearly a very energized uh a very energized action filled page so Oh, this isn't the guy from the first chapter. That's the captain of the praying mantises. I thought I thought it was because it isn't. No, no, the... it's a completely different character. Because because the guy from the first chapter is in this arc, right? He's in this arc, but this character on this color page is the captain of the praying mantises, Jack the Ripper. Okay, my my mistake. Then they kind of have that same crazy face to me. They look the same to me, <laughs> but I'm sure that's just me. Um, but whatever. My point still stands is that it's. I just I just love the way the colors are used in this page. Like it's just it's weirdly soothing. Like I I could I could literally just look at it all day. Yeah, it's a great two-page spread, I think. Uh, I think the I think the line work on it, like the kind of chaotic line work is really great. How it's not solid lines, but just these kind of very inky rushed lines. I think that gives it a lot of energy especially. That's really nice. Mhm. Uh, shout out to uh to the cover of Shona Jump with uh Asta taking the throne. Uh, I thought that was actually a really striking cover. Uh, probably one of my favorite covers as far as like Shona Jump goes. Oh yeah, that that was a really great image. Like if we were talking about Shona Jump covers, that's definitely up there for me for sure. Also, I I, I mean as far as Shona Jump covers go, I also like the Wano one. Where we have like Luffy and Zoro crossing blades and Kaido's in the background. Oh, that was gonna be my second one. Yeah, that one's really good too. Uh, Luffy eating the giant hamburger is really fun. Oh yeah, that one always makes me hungry. Uh, the 50th anniversary cover, you know, is just really nice as a you know kind of nice to see the authors draw some of their favorite characters from their favorite series. But yeah, some good stuff. But let's talk more about some of our favorite artwork and our favorite pages by talking about our favorite two-page spread. And now this one I'm going to preface by saying I had a little trouble with just in terms of revisiting uh, issues of Jump and trying to figure out like what my favorite two-page spreads were because I haven't been able to do it on the browser very well because of, you know, for some reason when I try to revisit issues like... They are oftentimes messed up and like blotchy with like some weird squares and stuff. And I don't know what to deal with that. So I have to like flip through them on the app, which, you know, there's some la- sometimes I have problem with loading pages on there. But I think the one two page spread that, you know, really sticks out to me and that I really, really was satisfied by was when Asami is this road in Food Wars Chapter 262. Because it's all about the build up to that moment in that like all everyone around Azami is being like this road because of his gifting because even though he can't admit it to himself like he did enjoy Arina's dish and it's overpowering him his own senses and like everything is all of that energy is leaking out of him it's like causing everyone around him in the stadium to like disrobe and like it's all that build up to the moment where Azami himself like gives in and admits that Erina's dish was delicious and that he you know enjoyed it in spite of like wanting to look down on her and the dish because it wasn't proper gourmet cooking or whatever but like that moment where Azami is his robe and he's finally vulnerable like his shoot his suit is ripped off of him like 
he is just twisted around. He's blown away. Like, he has this face of, like, sheer loss and despondence uh, stripped down to his underwear. Like, I just found, you know, that page kind of, like, even just, like, as a moment, just almost... It really is because it's a moment. Like, it is the ultimate victory that Azami, like, has been defeated here by Arina's dish. And this is, like, the ultimate proof of that. So I think, you know, that two-page spread has still stuck out to me because of how victorious it's drawn in terms of, like, seeing Azami, like, reduced to such a humiliating state after being so high and mighty for this entire arc finally seeing him like submit and give in to the deliciousness of you know the resistance's dishes is really nice all right well i guess i can uh kind of lean in with my favorite and uh i i will admit that uh i just haven't really had time to kind of go back to look for my favorite two-page spreads over the year um i'll hopefully do a better job of kind of keeping track of them over the year uh this year but uh, I think probably one that I, like in recent memory that stands out to me anyway, is actually from chapter 909 of One Piece in particular, kind of near the beginning of the Wano arc, where we're basically seeing what the other half of the crew is up to. And uh, I really, 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 really love the, uh, basically the ending spread with uh, Zoro getting out of committing seppuku and him using the actual seppuku knife to basically to, to basically slice down the person in charge of uh, of that ritual like it's just it's so great like it's it's just such a dynamic looking page like i, I don't know what it is like i i just i just love that like it's just an awesome moment in particular uh this goes for all of the wano arc and where like i've really been enjoying the kind of uh, the use of sound effects for the arc because usually you know when something really big happens in one piece you'll have the usual like dodon kind of thing the the japanese onomatopoeia whereas during the wano arc whenever anything cool happens you have uh what was it like babang or something um b- basically the sound effect that like a shamisen makes i think that's what i think it is anyway and uh i think i'm pretty sure this was the first chapter that was used and, like, as soon as I figured out what that was, like, I just kind of started imagining, like, how is Toei going to animate this? Because, you know, like, we we have our kind of up and down opinions of the One Piece anime as a whole. But, like, I'm actually kind of look like, this spread kind of really made me look forward to the to the prospect of how Toei's going to handle the atmosphere of this arc in particular. Because it's obviously very, like, it's very, like, of its time. Like, it's... I'm just kind of enjoying how much of a period piece uh, the Wano arc has been lately. Like, the overall atmosphere, I think, has kind of been my favorite selling point of the arc overall, even if e- even if I'm not, like... I'm not going to say I don't like the Wano arc, because I do like it, I just haven't been, like... It just hasn't, like, clicked with me yet. Like, I'm, I'm not finding myself, like, super excited for it, but I, I am finding it, like, very interesting to read, and at least enjoyable, so... Um, I, I think that's why I like that spread is because like just little touches like that, I think really go a long way to really, to really contributing to the atmosphere of what Oda's going for. 
Oh, definitely. I love all the touches Oda's made in the Wano arc to make it feel structured like a kabuki play, having it divided in acts and having it being introed with a woman playing a shamisen and then like curtains opening and closing. All of that is just so great. And I am really excited to see how the anime handles that. I think that is really going to shine in animation with the music and kind of like what they can do creatively with it. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping the sound design is like on point for this arc. Mm-hmm. One Piece in general has just some amazing two-page spreads. I really like the moment where we see Blackbeard again in chapter 925. Like even I think just because of the build up to seeing Blackbeard again that's such a really great moment, but like, you know, just kind of like the pose and like the energy of that page is really really nice. Uh, I think that like the final pages of uh, chapter 900 were really striking, you know, with the straw hat ship burning down as like Big Mom is like enjoying her cake and singing the song. Like, I think that's really good. But uh, to move on from Wimby's, I think one other great two-page spread I want to mention is from Promise Neverland chapter 95. Like the final two-page spread of that when Goldie Pond is destroyed and we're seeing like like the entire town sunken into the Goldie Pond. Like all everything has sunken in like the entire town. So I thought that was just a great like kind of climax to that. You know, they've blown it up. They've sunk it down to the ground. Uh, they've destroyed this hunting ground. It's I, I just think that seeing the imagery of it, seeing this building windmill behind it, all of it like kind of crumbling apart as it sinks into the water. I think it was just a great illustration. Yeah, it, it is. It is pretty great. Are there any other two paid spreads you want to mention, or should we go on to our favorite manga moments of 2018? Um, I, I think I think we can move on to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of our two-page reads kind of were some of the best moments of 2018, but there are others I want to mention too. I recently caught up to L Live thanks to this new Shonen Jump relaunch retool thing, and I read through all of that, and there was definitely a moment from L Live that I just found incredibly satisfying. And it's going to involve some spoilers for L Live, but basically. Uh, a lot of people died in Eld Live, it seemed, and it seemed like there would be no way to bring them back to life. And that happened quite a number of chapters into the series at this point. Like, it happened, like, a, in, in the middle of the series, like, a lot of the supporting cast died. And the survivors just had to continue moving on, but, like, the series had gotten really desperate from there because they were fighting like against an enemy with incredible odds and like everything was turning against them and so in this chapter chapter 58 uh, this is happening after a time skip that you know from the end of the previous arc where it ended on a real downer it seemed like even more people had died like it's the eld live hq turned against them betrayed them and Chuta felt like he was abandoned by everyone, uh, especially by Mizuzu, because of some big reveals about like who and what she really is, causing her to leave Chuta behind, even though she he he wanted her to you know stay with him and stuff and still be friends alongside her and all that. So you know this entire chapter is like Chuta, like at the beginning of it, Chief Lane has returned to recruit Chuta back into Eld Live because he needs Chuta's help to you know stop Kieshi and his plan 
and prevent him from causing the deaths of like a lot more people. But, you know, Chuda is still feeling like hurt and betrayed and abandoned by everyone. So he's not willing to do that. He's not willing to come back to Eldlife. But Chief Ling convinces him to come with him to like the new secret Earth base that he's set up. And so Chuda kind of reconnects with his friends and you know he they chew him out for you know he he announces like kind of like why why should i save mizuzu like she abandoned us like why why should i do anything for her but you know ron you know glock they kind of like chew him out for that for being such a brat and being so selfish uh also does chips and like they kind of explain to Chuta, you know, why Mizuzu had to do what she did and why she had to leave them behind because, you know, she realized she, she had to make up a plan to save more people to stop Kieshi's plan. So it kind of all builds up to like Chuta realizing kind of why things had to happen that they did, why Mizuzu had to go away and why he was kept in the dark for so long. And it all culminates to like the final, in the final pages of chapter, you know, Chuta enters like the new base and he sees like the, it's like a recreation of the bridge of the, their space station. And he sees greeting them there, waiting for him there, like pretty much everyone who had died, who they have all been like revived. And it's like, just this amazing moment because like it was like this brief glimmer of hope towards the end of the period's arc that they could revive all these characters because dr love had figured out oh that because in the way they died they were kind of like transmuted into a different form of matter so dr love thought that he could like kind of transmute them back into their original forms but you know because they were betrayed and the spaceship was blown up like that glimmer of hope seemed to be lost but in this moment it's like this big reveal like you know everyone has survived everyone has returned and like chuta just breaks down in tears and he's like blocked off his emotions at this point but he like breaks down in tears like in happiness seeing all his friends again and then he thinks about like the how Mizuzu must have felt when she did what she did. And then he thinks about like everything that uh, you know, all his moments with Mizuzu, and like the, uh, what she means to him as his friends. And so he, the chapter ends with like him telling Chief Lane that he let me do this mission, like he's going to do this, he's going to save his friend. And this this chapter was just incredibly satisfying like emotional just moment all throughout like because you know of just how much Chuta and all the characters struggles throughout this entire arc this entire desperate situation and like even and after all hope seemed lost like fine like this is just this big triumphant moment that like everyone has returned like this family of characters has returned because like this entire crew in in of life like really felt like a close group of friends and you know characters like you really cared about that really felt like close as a fa- kind of like a family way and like it, it really feels like just so satisfying to see them all revived 
and then to see True to Cry, and then to have him find, have him realize that he needs to stand up for what's right and he needs to like save his friend and all that. So it's just I thought it was just an amazing emotional moment, an amazing chapter because of like how satisfying it is because it's you know because of how like it starts off with Judah just just so indignant, so refusing to return to Eldlive to to fight for Mizuzu and to save people but then realizing that he he still cares about people he still cares about his friends and he still has things to fight for so it was pretty great I'm pretty I'm sad that I wasn't keeping up with Eldlive as it was being serialized but having caught up on it, it it's a very good series and has a lot of really emotionally satisfying moments towards its conclusion. And this chapter was the most emotionally satisfying, I think, moment out of anything I read in 2018. I think it's like at the top, like when I think about everything. So that's my favorite manga moment of 2018. And uh, Live gets a high recommendation for me. Really enjoyed it. Oh, wow. I, I honestly didn't think uh, Live was that. I mean, I... I, I don't want to say I didn't think it was that good because like I, I, I should say I had I literally had like no idea of like what the quality of Elder Live was. So like I had no idea it was good, bad, but like I'm I guess I'm I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it. So. Oh, yeah. I To me, it was like a complete surprise how much I enjoyed Elder Live when I finally decided to read Stroll of it. Because I, I think I've discussed it on the podcast before that when I read the first chapter, I was really turned off. You know, I wasn't that engaged with the story or true as a protagonist. And I also just felt the colors were garish. But as I continued reading, I really do think Akira Amano's like color work is actually really beautiful. And she does an amazing job with it. But also the storytelling is very compelling. I really, really was invested in Chuda and Mizuzu as characters. And all the characters and the story as a whole, there was just a lot of really powerful emotional moments. And uh, just the character arcs in general were really great. But, you know, I, I, it's a shame I kind of, to explain why this moment is so impactful, I kind of had to give out some spoilers. But again, I highly recommend this series. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, I guess we'll just kind of move on to some of my picks. And I say picks because, like, it was, I, I really couldn't think of a moment, like one moment that really, really stood out to me, uh, this 2018 so I, I just kind of have a few, like, really small moments that I think really stood out to me. Uh, again, like, uh, kind of like what what I uh, discussed with uh, my favorite moment of 2017 with uh, Midoriya and Bakugo basically uh, sharing tips with each other after their second rematch. Like, you know, stuff like stuff that's, like, really small and subtle, but, like, stuff that still really means a lot to me. I'll I'll start off with my joke answer in that um the the appearance of uh and I, I almost hate to give this away for Lum because this is probably one of the funniest jokes in Gintama from the past year is uh the appearance of Donald Zurump <laughs> <laughs> Um I thought was uh pretty amazing and um was just one of those moments where I just I just kinda I was just kind of in disbelief that uh cause you know, Sirachi here and there has gotten really, like, wh- whether it be, like, in the series itself or, like, through the, like, question corner in the um in the actual, like, volumes of Gintama, he's gotten, like, weirdly political where, um, I, I-, I think one of the, uh, one of the questions he got in, and I forget which volume it was, but I know Bomber translated this one, was, uh, was basically, 
hey, uh, can you explain Brexit to me? And he basically just drew Shinpachi with his glasses hanging off his ear, and I thought it was pretty great. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, I, I thought the punchline of that particular chapter was pretty great. Um, so great that I, I had to be on the next episode of Just a Kintama Podcast to talk about it. Um, but so I, I guess as far as like my serious answers goes, uh, one moment that really stood out to me, actually from Black Clover, that really stood out to me, I think was chapter 176. And it was finally the moment where Nozelle in particular, you know, Noel's brother, basically acknowledges her growth and her power, like as as kind of an equal. Which was surprising to me because, like, I never really thought much of Noelle, even though I never really thought she was, like, a bad character. I I never really saw myself very, like, invested in her growth. But she's just had moments where it's just I, I just kind of root for her, you know? Like, and, you know, like, at some point I found myself wanting her to finally, you know, have her family acknowledge her. And we finally get, and we finally got that. Um, and which, you know... That moment also leads to her achieving her Valkyrie water armor, which I thought was, again, another really big standout moment in Black Clover. I think that's a really awesome power-up. It just looks amazing. But uh, I'm trying to trying to think. I thought I had another moment that I wanted to uh, put out there. Oh, yeah, from uh, My Hero Academia in particular. Um, again, another very small moment, but... Um, and, you know, it's nothing big. It's more of, more of a callback, if anything from uh, chapter 205 basically in the middle of our our big training battles with uh you know class A and B a moment that I really thought was great was when uh it, it's it's during uh the Ida team uh showdown in particular uh where I think Ida saves uh Todoroki uh, in particular uh, from being like absorbed into the ground or whatever uh no thanks to Honeyuki and like his powers or whatever I don't know. I I just kind of thought the callback to the to the stain arc was really good. Where like, you know, he recalls stain basically telling him like, "Hey, like go rescue go rescue the injured first, you know, before you you know come after me and whatnot." And again, another very small thing, but like it shows that he's really grown from that arc. And I'm really hoping that at some point that we we can maybe kind of. Get get a little more development for Ida here in the future. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Most definitely. Another my hero moment that stood out to me that I'd like to highlight was one from the very beginning of 2018. I think literally in the first chapter of my hero that came out in 2018 was when Endeavor asked All Might about how to be the number one hero, like what it means to be the number one hero, and All Might told Endeavor that you know being the number one hero is going to mean something different to Endeavor than it meant for him and that he shouldn't try to emulate All Might. Endeavor should find his own path and his own way to be a hero and hold that, you know, mantle of being the number one hero and being a symbol of peace for people. And that's definitely something Endeavor took to heart as we saw later on in MHA in the rest of the year when we had that time focusing on Endeavor. So that's a moment I want to mention. And then a moment from the end of the year that I want to also briefly highlight is from We Never Learn when we got kind of, you know, is kind of thinking about uh, what Aruka has told him about Aruka telling him that he wants to, uh, telling Yuika that she's going to be studying abroad uh, and going to be, you know, going abroad for, you know, uh, swimming and stuff. And so this has made Yuika kind of think about 
what does he really want? Like, is he really following his dreams like Aruka is doing? And so he kind of admits candidly to Rizu that he might act not actually be, he might not actually want the VIP recommendation that he's been trying to get. Like, he might not really want that. And, you know, he's thinking about, you know, he tries to, like, say, you know, I still need to do it, though, because my family is depending on me going to a good school, and the school will be disappointed if I don't take it. But then Rizu tells him, you know, you gotta think, take it seriously, and you, you don't, you have to, you don't, you need to be a little selfish and think about yourself, because what's more important to you than yourself, Yuiga? You know, and it's a, it's a really rare outspoken moment for Mizu, like really showing that, you know, she's so concerned about Yuga. But it's a big moment for Weega as a character, because for in this entire, for in the entire series, like he's just been thinking, you know, his goal is to get that VIP recognition. That's why he's tutoring, you know, uh, Rizu and Fumino and Aruka is like to get that VIP recommendation. But now he's thinking, you know, maybe I don't want that. I maybe I'll turn it down. Like, I don't really know what my dream is, but maybe it's not to go to this great school. But and so, like, it's really great that, you know, he's trying to say, you know, I, I shouldn't agonize over this. You know, it's done and done. But Rizu tells him, you know, you should agonize over this. Like, this is important to you. you got to think about this seriously. And this is just such a big character development moment for both of those characters. And for Yuga especially, it's just a huge moment. And I'm really intrigued to see like where this is going to lead in terms of like Yuga figuring out what he really wants to do. And we kind of see hints of that even in the follow-up chapter that he kind of is learning, thinking about like maybe he wants to be a teacher, you know? Uh, And so I'm really, really intrigued to see like where his character arc will be going. But yeah, that's a big moment. I also want to mention but now let's talk about some of our favorite fights of 2018 because those are also very impactful big moments as well and i think my favorite fight of 2018 has definitely got to be garo's insane fight against so many characters that took up like six months of the half the year really at one punch man like he fought debt gatling stinger smileman wildhorn chain toad magane blam blam shooter genos bang and uh bomb like it was just this insane string a chapter is Garo, he's already injured and weak, but he has to like fight against all of these A-class heroes and then S-class heroes. And, you know, he is taking a huge beating, but he just manages to come back from it like stronger and stronger and really push all the characters on the ropes, especially the A-class heroes. Like he mercilessly beats them after he... You know, they have the upper hand for a little bit, but then he turns the tide. And then Genos comes in just when it, he thinks he's won. And then that is a big battle of desperation. But then just as he's about to have one over on Genos, Bang comes in and start beating him down. And, like, it's just this big last stand battle of desperation for Garo as he's, like, fighting so many heroes one after another. He's really thinking about, you know, I have to make this big stand because I'm going to be the greatest villain And I won't lose to these heroes. And I'll make a name for myself by beating all these heroes. And then ultimately, like, it's too much for Garo and he has to, like, escape with Phoenix Man and stuff. But, like, it's... That fight is just an insane roller coaster of ebb and flow of, like, who has the momentum. And Garo is, like... Man, uh, I'll talk about Garo later for sure. But, like, I I, I really love Garo. So, like, that 
those were just ins- some insane chapters. Uh, and then the fight immediately following that I'll also mention where Genos and Bang and Bomb fight Sentichoro. Now, that has some amazing moments because Sentichoro is this, this big monster. So there's a lot of two-page spreads. Uh, and it's, that's another like really great, like uh, insane fight in terms of like Murata's art, but also, you know, just what happens in it. And of course it ends with like Santama showing up and like beating Sentichoro with one punch. But like, you know, everything before that is also just this great, you know, desperate battle too. And I really think One Punch Man did some really great job with those kind of desperate battles. Even, of course, when Saitama shows up, it's over in One Punch. But, like, until then, you know, it's it's a real fight. It's a real bloody mess. And how about you, Colton? What are you? some of your favorite fights? Oh, boy. I'm, re- I'm going to try not to go on for super long, but, man... This was one of the few things I actually got to revisit today before we recorded, and um, I'm I'm glad I didn't. But at the same time, I let's just say the, the fight I'm gonna pick that really stood out to me in 2018 above everything else. I I almost wish I didn't reread because I was in public and I was really trying not to cry on the bus ride home. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, the fight that really stood out to me in 2018. I, I want to say, like, pretty early in the first half of the year would have to be Midoriya versus Gentle Criminal. Yes, yes, definitely. I forgot how desperate this fight is. Like, for an arc that really shouldn't be anything at all, like, you know, this whole fight takes place, you know, in an arc that's basically, hey, let's let's do something for the school festival or whatever. And, you know, this arc could have easily just been, like, you know, more normal school stuff which you know I'm, I'm not saying is necessarily a bad thing but like i think without the addition of gentle criminal and la brava i don't think this arc would have been as interesting or as memorable because like because i don't know like i i could i could go on about like how much i love this fight because like a gentle criminal in particular i think it's just such a for for such a one-off character like i don't i don't see him being you know, a super important character later on down the line, or maybe he will be, I don't know, I, I kind of hope so, actually. You know, for, for such a self-contained story, like, General Criminal, I think, leaves a huge impression. You know, because at first you think, oh, it's it's just this guy who does all these petty crimes and uploads them to YouTube for fun or whatever, because he, he gets he gets a kick out of it or whatever, and, and, and for a while you're just kind of like, okay, well, why should Midoriya care about you know, having to fight this guy and and ruin his dreams or whatever. And then you you start to find out more and more about this guy and what he's gone through. And man, like, I really did not see myself caring about this character at all. But Horikoshi really pulled one over on me. Because the fight eventually turns into this thing where it's like, you don't want either side to lose. And I really love conflicts like that, where it's like, you don't really want to root for one character over the other. You really you really want them both to have what they want. You know, obviously Midoriya's whole thing is that, like, you know, with all the villain attacks or whatever, like, the police force are basically cracking down on UA, you know, for them being so vulnerable to villain attacks. And, you know, basically if anything goes wrong during the school festival, like, they're going to be forced to shut it down completely. Which Midoriya doesn't want because, you know... He wants, uh, he wants Aerie from, you know, the kid from the last arc to, you know, he, he wants her to, like, have fun for once and 
actually find some kind of joy in her life, find something to kind of look forward to and and just be a kid like, you know, he he just wants to make her smile after being used as like a as like a test subject all her life, essentially. And, you know, obviously that's why he doesn't want the uh, he doesn't want the school festival to get shut down because of it. And obviously on General Criminal's side, like throughout the fight, you kind of learn that like this guy has had a real shit life. Like he's he's failed the provisional exam to be a hero like three or four times. He's basically being told to give up on his dreams, even though uh, never ending optimism is on his side. Like, you know, he keeps having to reassure his parents like, hey, don't worry, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to achieve my goals and whatnot when nothing goes his way. Like he tries to save a guy from falling out of a building, but then it turns out, oh, well, you know, you you kind of got in the way of a hero already trying to do his job. Like, well, not only that, because he intervened, like the guy who was falling is in the hospital for like six months. Like uh, he because he interfered with a hero doing his job like that person got injured. And, you know, it's a very Incredibles ass situation. If you remember the beginning of Incredibles and how uh, Mr. Incredible by intervening actually ended up making that uh, the situation worse but no yeah like th basically throughout the whole fight like you know you basically learn just how desperate gentle is to try to make a name for himself to try to find some kind of purpose in life and he's just gotten to this point where he thinks that all these small time crimes just to get some kind of publicity like that's that's his only claim to fame at the moment, and even then, it's clearly not working out for him, but he still desperately clings on to it, you know, not just for the sake of himself, but for the sake of the person following him, La Brava, so, you know, he doesn't let her down, which I also really like their relationship, too. It's it's very, it's very wholesome, very pure. Like, you could tell they have a very genuine love for each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, La Brava's quirk is love. It's literally her love for gentle. Which, you know, like, that that whole thing about love being her quirk, like, I could see a lot of people being like, oh, that's cheesy or whatever. But I mean, like, I don't know. Like, it works. Like, it's it's also really telling that, like, you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I just love the back and forth between Midoriya and Gentle, just in general, where it's like, uh, Gentle obviously recognizes that Midoriya has his reasons for fighting him and that he has something to protect. And he has this, he basically gains a respect for him. Like, he basically understands where Midoriya is coming from in a way. And, you know, I, the, this, this was another two page spread I wanted to talk about earlier, but like, I thought maybe I shouldn't because, you know, I was, I was going to end up talking about it here. I love the spread. I forget which chapter it is, but I love the spread where they're about to clash in which, you know, Gentle is basically like, if you want to mock me, go ahead. And then Midoriya just tells him straight up, like, nobody's making fun of you. Like, that, man, the first time I read that, that really hit me hard. Because it's like, that that really shows you that Midoriya, like, never once, you know, made fun of Gentle for his, for his motivations or nothing. Like, and I don't know, it just, just something about that just really kind of hit home for me. Um... Like I said, like the, this fight means so much to me because it's like, I I like, like no matter who wins, like the the others' hopes and dreams are going to be dashed, and it's like it's so cruel. Yeah, I mean, 
it, more on Medo- more Doria's end. It's it's worse than with Gentle because Gentle again is kind of this is kind of a true, selfish yeah. thing on his part, you know, to make a name for himself by trashing UA. But you know, he is a criminal. <laughs> he is doing a bad thing here. He is the bad guy in the situation. But he's very empathetic, and you un- you understand why he's be- driven in such a way, and you can really like get emotionally invested in him and Labrava's relationship and how much they care about each other and that they are they generally true truly love each other gentle is not just fighting for his own like hopes of building a reputation for himself but he's also fighting because labrava you know believes in him and he doesn't want to let her down so you know there is what's great about this fight is that you know both sides are fighting for something beyond themselves and fighting for something desperate that they want to cling on to yeah, and I mean the the fight itself like is is just really like man, there are some good hits in here. Like I I totally forgot about uh Gentle's ability in which he can basically make anything elastic, including like the air around uh around him. And I I really love the latter half of the fight where like Midoriya really uses his power against him because, you know, Gentle ends up leaving all these like these like traps of elastic air or whatnot, kind of behind him. And, you know, at this point, Midoriya is also learning how to use, like, uh, one for all to, um, to to basically shoot, like, air bullets at people, which I think is also a really cool power-up. I love how he uses the little air, like, pockets in the air to uh, basically ricochet them back at uh, Gentle. Like, there's a lot of really, there are a lot of really clever, like, moves in this fight that, like, I legitimately thought were surprising and didn't see coming. And just in general, like, it's just so, like, tenacious and fierce that, like, really out of anything in My Hero Academia from 2018 was, like, pretty much my favorite arc, which I wasn't, was not expecting going in. Yeah, it was definitely the high point of MHA in the year. And, yeah, I I don't think anyone expected, like, the gentle criminal to be as compelling as he was in that fight to be as gripping as it was but it truly was a highlight and definitely one of the best fights of the year for sure like if it weren't for my pick for a certain category uh that being uh best villain best antagonist whatever you want to call it like general criminal probably probably would have been my number one if not like severely close to being number one Mm -hmm. for sure but I think we'll move on from fights to talk about our favorite manga chapters of 2018. And I kind of already mentioned mine earlier, which was Live chapter 58 when I talked about favorite moments. But another chapter that I really enjoyed was One Piece chapter 900, the bad end musical where Big Mom has finally eaten the cake and she's it's singing as she's enjoying it. And all around while she's singing, the Big Mom pirates are hunting down the Straw Hat ship and it's just increasingly desperate for the Straw Hats and by the end they've sunk, it's seemingly, the Straw Hat ship. And Big Mom is just singing this incredibly ominous song throughout the chapter that's really chilling, but also it's darkly charming and it's too. And that chapter was just such a creative, but also spooky kind of from beginning to end i like how oda can combine the goofy with the frightening and i think this was a really comedically dark chapter of one piece 
I also really enjoyed the fifth chapter of Hell's Paradise, where Gabimaru has seemingly turned on Sigiri and is trying to kill her. And so they're fighting, but something's off for both of them. Like Gabimaru, you know, he's trying to kill Sigiri, but like something's amiss to him and he doesn't really realize what it is. Like, does he really want to kill her? And Sigiri, Gabimaru has turned on her and she, as her his executioner, should have no remorse about cutting him down but she also is finding him finding herself hesitating and so they're kind of grappling with emotions that are getting in the way of like killing the other person and like at the by the end of the chapter like Gabimaru is kind of is in a position to like kill Zagiri but like he can't do it and it's like he's wondering what's holding him back why he's feeling uh, sentiment guilt and like you see this image of like his wife holding Gabimar back, like as a manifestation of like his conscience, of, like his empathy and emotions for other people. And so like he questions like if whether he's gotten weak, but like Sigiri tells him that feeling something for other people, not wanting to kill people, you know, that is a that is a type of strength. Like fe- having emotions and not running from them is a sign of strength. And so the chapter ends with like Sagiri telling Gabimaru, you know, if you're willing to, since you regret the sins of your past, if you're willing to face your emotions and like reclaim your life, you know, I will accompany you and I'll help you find the elixir, get the pardon, because you're no longer the man you once more and you can change. And I really like that chapter because both of the characters are like struggling with like emotions that are preventing them from doing the job and killing because they don't want to kill the other and they kind of like come to realize that they don't have to kill the other person and like they shouldn't like run away from what they're feeling and also like they they can confront their emotions and they can grow stronger from them and i really like that chapter a lot so yeah uh what are some of your favorite chapters colton oh man so um it was really hard to pick like my favorite favorite i'll i'll, I'll mention i'll mention my runner-up and say that uh, chapter 685 of Gintama is uh, is probably at least my second favorite in 2018. Um, basically, the chapter where Gin is at this point disguised as Takasugi and is back in Edo. But because he's disguised as Takasugi, uh, Sachan spots him and basically tries to assassinate him. <laughs> um, which, you know, uh, now that I think about it, I don't really blame him. Uh, I don't really blame her for wanting to do that because uh, he did kind of stab her in the stomach. So, you know, there's that. I'm sure she has a little score to settle with him. But, uh, like, like basically, it, this whole thing is, like, because Gin obviously doesn't really want to let anyone know that he's back in Edo just yet. And so he, it, it's, like, basically, this, the whole chapter is just him disguised as Takasugi, trying to trying to do his best to act like Takasugi, uh, d- down to his little, like... Uh, I guess dr- dramatic entrances. I don't know what you would call it. They they get a lot of mileage out of like I guess his sound effect kuwa, which I guess according according to the Crunchyroll subs in the anime would be something along the lines of da dun, like little uh, dramatic music cue there. And you know it just gets to a point where like uh, Sachan poisons him with a really super extra strong laxative. He tries to go to the bathroom. All the ninjas are using all the restrooms in Edo. <laughs> um, he 
runs into basically all the girls but at this point like through one circumstance or another he he's he's in a he's basically disguised as takasugi in a diaper in a chain and leash um he has kubei's underwear on his head just all kinds of really wacky shenanigans that are basically funny because it's like oh it's like it's like takasugi's doing these things but it's not actually takasugi and it's it's pretty great um i thought that entire chapter was funny um, I really loved the way the anime handled it, like literally months later. Um, so yeah, that was that's probably one of the probably one of my like favorite chapters of manga in terms of like just comedy. Probably my favorite chapter this year, and I really had to think about this one. And I think it would have to be chapter three eighty seven of Hunter Hunter. Uh, I, I don't I don't want to go on too long because there there's so much going on in Hunter Hunter that like. We we could probably dedicate an entire podcast to like what's been going on in the Dark Continent arc so far, but like at, at this point in the story, like what is it, the Fourth Prince? I forget his name. Serendich. Yeah, uh, basically the one who is who's kind of learning Nen, but the bodyguard who's helping him is like trying not to help him at the same time. It's 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 a really interesting uh, relationship they have there. But yeah, she eventually tries to kill him. But somehow he survives, and for, like, a whole chapter and a half, you're like, how how did he do that? Like, I legitimately was, like, confused as to, like, how he survived. But, like, little did I know there'd be another chapter later on where, like, it's basically that entire moment through the perspective of the Fourth Prince. And you basically find out, like, what his, kind of what his ability is and how he was able to, I guess, survive getting shot in the head and it's it's basically this really like complicated sort of um i get kind of a time travel ability but not 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 really time travel but more so like kind of future sight almost yeah he kind of kind of he can kind of freeze in time it's kind of more like it's a little bit like king crimson he kind of like slices open a moment in time and like moves between it mhm yeah and he essentially uses that ability to get out of being uh, get, get out of being assassinated. I, I I love the chapter just because like because like this this entire arc like I I feel like Togashi is setting up this character in particular to be a pretty big player. I, I think that's pretty safe to assume. Um, and uh, r- really like the thing I got out of this chapter was just like wow, this guy has just become like an even bigger threat. Like, this was a chapter of Hunter Hunter that made me excited for the rest of the arc. Like, I, I kind of couldn't believe it. Like, because there are other characters that, like, I am sort of scared of when they finally clash with our protagonist. But, like, this character in particular, I am real. I'm actually, like, really terrified of. Like, I really want to... I'm, like, anxious to see, like, what he does with his new power now. Yeah, I mean, this... Build up to Serendich learning Nen has been a long thing and it's like really amped up the tension because, you know, Tate is trying to has been trying to prevent him from like learning Nen as quickly so that because she knows that it'll be dangerous if Serendich masters Nen. But like his Nen beast is so creepy and, you know, his powers now that he realizes what he's capable of and like he kind of. Like, he knows that Tata wanted to betray him and kill him, but now he has her kind of, like, 
on a leash because he can kill her whenever he wants now. But, like, he's just keeping her alive because she can teach him more things. But, like, we already see the effects of, like, his power, like, affecting her and, like, how he it's turned, like, his, her face, like, kind of into, half her face, like, into scales, like, with this weird mark. And, it, yeah, I mean, Serendich is a creepy dude. And you know that eventually he's going to have to come, like, he will come across with Karapika. Because Karapika is after him because he has the rest of the Scarlet Eyes. So how that confrontation is going to play out, you know, the buildup to that is going to be just insane. But yeah, Serendich, you know, not, I guess I guess I have to preemptively give up, like, the fact that I was going to talk about him as one of my favorite villains of the year. Because Serendich is just, like, really, really creepy and has really been built up extremely well in Hunter Hunter. But to talk about another Hunter Hunter chapter just briefly that I thought was really excellent was chapter 383 the chapter where Kacho and Fugetsu uh, try to escape the ship you know Melody is singing a song at her flute to kind of like put everyone in a trance to allow them to get to the submarine and like uh, get out of the ship but then they realize that they can't escape the ship because escaping the ship will mean debt for them because of that's the curse of their Nen powers and stuff. So, mm. like, uh, there are a bunch of, like, these creepy hands, like, coming after them. And so they have to get back into the ship. And, like, they try to open a door back. And, like, Fugetsu gets in, but Kacho doesn't go through. And, like, she thinks that... Uh, but then, like, Kacho does seemingly get in. And so it seems like, you know, both of them have come back to the ship together. You know, they've narrowly avoided death but then you find out like at the very end of the chapter that Kacho's guardian spirit beast ability is like if either you know her or forgets to die uh the nen beast will take one of their forms to protect the other and stay by their side until death and so it was real that Kacho died Kacho is dead uh and it's just like Kacho's nen beast that's now what forgets to and it's like this incredibly heartbreaking dark ending because after through the previous chapters you really got a feel for how much of these sisters care for each other how they really want to escape the ship so they don't have to fight each other and kill each other or their siblings and you know melody has tried their her best to help them escape one of their attendants is basically you know sacrificing his life because in aiding their escape, you know, he's going to be put to debt and stuff. But, like, in the end, they can't escape the ship because the escaping the ship means that they're going to have to die either way. Basically, either they participate in the section or the secession or they die. And in the end, like, Fugetsu doesn't know it, but Caddy has died, you know, saving her life. And it's just so tragic. That was a chapter that really stuck with me, too. So, Hunter Hunter was on fire this year. I thought all year, really. Like, man, the Dark Continent arc has gotten really good and really compelling. I want to see where all these plot trades, like, culminate together as they continue to progress. I'm waiting for Hisoka to show back up. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, you know that when he does, like, things are just going to get even more complicated because the spiders are looking for him. What faction could he align himself with what chaos could he cause like it'll just get crazier from here 2018 was a great year also because togashi came back at least two times so 
Yeah, we're like 20 chapters this year, which was excellent. Yeah, I'm hoping maybe we can maybe get another 20 more in 2019, but I also want Togashi to rest, so. Yeah, I am content with him only releasing 10 chapters, you know, so long as his health is in good standing, but like, again, the story is really good. It's I'm so excited for when it returns. I want to see what happens next. But to move on from chapters, let's talk about briefly our favorite manga series finales of 2018. And I don't know if there's too many to talk about here, but again, I will mention Eldlife because Eldlife had a, a really fantastic ending where, you know, you think it'll lead up to a bittersweet ending where Mizuzu will have to make the sacrifice to become mother of mothers, you know, so, you know, she can save, protect the universe, save people or whatever. But then, you know, it twists it on the head. It's like, no, that's not what you really want. You don't have to make the sacrifice. That's not what you want. That's not what can make you happy. You don't have to put this burden all on yourself. You need to be true to yourselves and what you really want. And there's just this great moment of camaraderie where people across the universe are telling them, you know, let these kids be kids. Let them live their life. We will all band together to save our future. You know, let's not put the burden just on these kids. It is just a really satisfying, happy ending that really warmed my heart and made me smile so and, and a great culmination of these the character arcs as well and the themes of the series so Eldlife, great series finale uh do you have anything else for this colton um i mean yeah gintama ended in jump <laughs> <laughs> i i have to say um i definitely was not expecting the way gintama ended in jump um i don't want to give anything too much away because i don't want to spoil lum but Essentially, like, certain characters in the manga are very well aware that they cannot end the manga in five chapters, and it's pretty amazing. I think I skimmed through this chapter, and yeah, it was pretty funny. Literally, the last page of the last jump chapter of Gintaba is basically just an entire page of Gin yelling at the top of his lungs. The story <laughs> continues in Jump Giga! <laughs> oh yeah. my god, I... You know, when I first saw that, like, I I don't think I had much of a reaction because I just, I was just kind of like, I should have seen this coming. <laughs> like, like, I, I love how, I love how everybody's just kind of like, did you really think we could end this in five chapters? Are you guys idiots? <laughs> we know that. You don't think we know that? <laughs> I really wonder how the anime's going to handle that or if they'll even include that material at all. Um. Yeah, I mean, this category was all dependent on series ending, and there were, weren't too Me many either, yeah. uh, that we were I was reading or we were reading that did end this year. Uh, Robot Laser Meme ended, but I didn't think that ended on a particularly satisfying note. But L-Live, L-Live ended on a very satisfying note, so very happy about that. But now let's talk about characters. And let's start off by talking about our favorite manga protagonists of 2018. Um, okay, I guess I could go first here, um, with my choice. This one may surprise some people, because, once again, I have to give it to Black Clover for this one. And, uh, if Maxi is listening, uh, this is gonna make him very, very happy. But I have to say that, uh, my number one favorite character, uh, from this past year would have to be Mario Leona. Like, in particular, her fight with some of the elves... Uh, when when she like you know, basically smacks away 
uh, Asta and Zora, some of that is um, pretty great. Like, I think the moment in that fight that, like, really stood out to me was, like, how she basically, like, went out on this huge attack. And, like, it like it really gave me, like, marine-furred, white-beard vibes where it's, like, oh, she, even though she's unconscious, she's still standing. Like, how can you not think that's cool? How, 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 do, you, how do you come away from that and think, that was okay? <laughs> like, no, that's... That's one of the most amazing things. Like, like there are certain like tropes and stuff that like that make for for an easy sell for me personally, and like that's one of them. Like that's just so cool. Like you can't. I don't know how anybody can can read that and think that's not cool. Like just in general. Like Mario Leona is probably one of my favorite characters in Black Clover. Just in general. Oh, for sure. Like she's just so like she takes no shit from anybody. She. Honestly, like she, sh- I consider her the real leader of um, of uh, what 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 what's the name of their team again? I want to say the Crimson Lions, but I feel like that's is that right? Well, she is the leader of the Crimson Lions. I thought it was for uh, Fagolion. Well, Fagolion was the leader, but then he was put into a coma, so then she took over. Okay. So I don't know if she of like Fagolion will take the position back, but like right now she is the captain of the Crimson Lions. Yeah, that, that's what I meant, is I, I thought she was only, like, temporary or whatever. I don't know if she's just temporary, I think, but we'll see. I don't really have anything else to say other than, like, Mario Leona is awesome, and I wish we had more female characters like her in Jump Manga. Well, there are a lot of great female characters in Jump Manga, because my favorite manga character of 2018 is Arina from Food Wars. Her character developments throughout the last couple years of Food Wars has been great, as she's had to confront Azami, get out from under his like abusive teachings and like what she's internalized from him in terms of only appreciating high class cuisine and kind of learning to, you know, befriend others, let her guard down and like be vulnerable and trust others and uh, also kind of appreciate different ways of cooking besides, you know, what is deemed the correct way, like be more inventive and creative, like kind of adopt Soma's kind of renegade inventive approach and you know this year it started off amazing with Arena as she had her match with Momo in the big like showdown uh, between the resistance and the elite 10 where she you know uh, avenged Megumi for a loss against Momo by defeat well and which was a great character moment for her because she and Momo were very similar in terms of like characters who were considered princesses, like that they saw themselves as above other people and looked down on others. But Arina has grown out of that and learned to appreciate other people and, uh, you know, not think of her cooking as so high class that like other people wouldn't be able to, to understand it or like to, she's learned to like give other people, to listen to the input of other people and also she cooks for something aside from her own satisfaction unlike momo so that was a great like character moment for her where she was like able to like fight a reflection of her former self and like 
kind of show how much she's grown which of course then uh we have the final match of that uh resistance uh, team shokugeki where she and soma face down sakasa and rindo and this was great because she got to cook the main dish and like so mature a curveball by cooking an appetizer that was like so unorthodox that it was really hard to compliment it was like a challenge to Arina to like come up with something inventive and creative that she could call her own specialty and that could also really impress and and azami and beat you know sakasa's dish and she manages to do it by taking a seemingly ordinary like dish in terms of like a chicken and egg rice bowl and puts a spin on it by incorporating uh peanut butter and squid legs soma's failed experiment from the very beginning of the series she takes that concept and embellishes her dish by using those flavors to enhance her dish and she takes it even step further and the, it's just this great moment where it shows like how much erin has grown that she's like taking ideas from other people and being creative with how she makes her dishes and like making something unusual but something that is undeniably like her own dish it's not like cooking dictated by other people as like azami wants azami wants everyone to cook in the ways that only he deems is the correct way. But Arina, you know, is rebelling against her as she declares to him, your daughter has become a runaway and a delinquent. And so her dish is called like delinquent daughter style la la cuisine veritable, I think is what she called it. And again, like I mentioned earlier in my favorite two-page spread, it's just so satisfying Azami thinks that he can keep Arina still under his thumb, that Arina has to obey, like, his demands, that he has power over her. But, like, you know, Arina, by, he can't control his reaction to her dish. And so, the like, the gifting, you know, it goes beyond his control, which causes everyone in the stadium to lose their clothes and causes him to finally be this row to lose his own clothes in a classical food war style which again as i mentioned just how satisfying that was after years of you know azami acting so high and mighty to see him like finally like humiliated and brought down to earth in this way and like it, it just culminates in just this great way that entire this entire arc with Arena saying like soma's catchphrase happy to serve you know and it ends with Arena like becoming the dean of Toadski and just her character development like the culmination of that in like the central arc by the end of it is just so so satisfying and you know even afterwards like Arena even though Arena hasn't like been like a driving force of like the the arc afterwards like she hasn't had an active role she's kind of put in more passive position recently i still you know enjoy how much her character has grown and like kind of how she's acting kind of as the dean and the leader of the group that like everyone respects her and like she's also like thinking about what's best for the school and like by going after like cuisineurs noirs and stuff uh and you know i just really love erin as a character she and i think that this year was just really really satisfying in terms of like seeing her development finally culminate in that moment where she fully rebels against the zombie and cooks a dish that even he can't deny is undeniably great 
and just become truly becomes her own person. And so yeah, Arena is my favorite protagonist of 2018. But we can move on to talk about our favorite manga antagonist of 2018 as well. We kind of mentioned a lot of good ones already, like Garo and Serendich. Yeah, I was I was gonna say like Garo's pretty much my favorite antagonist. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. In 2018. Yeah. What was that Garo your pick too? Is such a yeah, definitely. Man. Garo has been like my favorite character in One Punch Man since for years, ever since he was introduced. He's just such a fascinating character as someone who wants to be the ultimate villain, the ultimate monster, but it's undeniably human. He has empathy and compassion for weak people, for weak characters like that kid and who he fights to protect and fights to rescue. And Man, it's like Garo is, he's an anti-villain because he's undeniably still a villain because like he's of very what he does. confused. He's but very yeah, confused he about what he wants he to be. He wants to be the ultimate monster, but he can't deny that he is human and he does not gel with what the monster's association's vision and plans and the methods are. So he, of course, rebels against them and is fighting his way out of the monster association. Yeah, like his 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 journey go for like going back and forth between wanting to be this monstrous villain and accidentally becoming the hero. Like it's it's a legitimately interesting journey, and I really want to see like where he ultimately ends up. Most definitely. Like, yeah, I don't think I really have much else to add to that other than like he's he's le- he's been legitimately like the most interesting antagonist in like any manga I've read over the past year. Oh, yeah. I mean, for the past couple of years for me, Garo has been far and away, like, one of my favorite characters, villains in currently running manga. Just period. And kind of in a similar way in terms of complex characters, uh, Sikasa from Dr. Stone is also just a great villain. Uh, antagonist. I mean, now he's on the Senku side, like he's befriended him, but like, you know, just as an antagonist, Sakasa definitely cares about other people. He wants to make a better world for the young and cares about the lives of all of his comrades and the people, you know, that he's, uh, who are under his care. But because he's worried about the threat Senku and his science poisons and what and that the world could fall back into how it was in terms of a corrupt world that exploits people. Like, he ha- he feels like he has to kill Senku and stop him. And I, I remember still the moment where Hyoga tells uh, Sakasa that Senku is still alive. And we see that look on Sakasa's face that is just like, it's really despondent. It's like shock. And it's like, he doesn't know how to feel because like, Senku, he does like Senku. He considers Senku a friend, but he also considers him a threat. And yeah, Sikasa, of course, is just, I just thought that he was a, a very compelling antagonist. And even though ultimately, because there was an undeniably villainous person in his ranks that forced uh, Sikasa and Senku to team up and ultimately saw Sikasa relents his entire like uh, faction and Senku's faction have essentially merged as one at this point. So he is no longer an antagonist, but as an antagonist, Sakasa was just very compelling and, and I really was satisfied with how like his arc progressed as Dr. Stone progressed this year. But now that we've talked about our favorite antagonists, let's talk about our favorite new manga characters of 2018. Because there were a lot of new series that came out and a lot of new cool characters that came out in them. 
Oh, new character. Um, I, st- I still don't really, like, have a clear choice. That one's kind of tough. Because it's also really hard for me to, like, remember which characters are, like, new, new. And, like, which ones have been, like, around. So, I, I-, I don't know. What-, what-, what was your pick? I really love Kei Yonagi from Act Age. She is such a fascinating character. As someone who really loves acting but she can only draw from her own experiences in acting and her own emotions so that is kind of crippling to her when she tries to like do something that she has no experience with and she doesn't really understand how to relate those emotions but then seeing her explore how to channel those emotions and kind of realize that there's more parts to herself beyond what she even has experienced and she knows before that she can experience emotions and channel emotions that she didn't know she had within herself like that moment where she has to play an extra in this like film and she you know has to watch as this little girl is being killed and at first she can't do it because you know when she sees a kid in danger she thinks of her own uh, little kid, little siblings, and she, if I, she like rushes in to protect the girl, but like that's not her role. You know, she has to be a bystander. She has to let this kid die, and you know, she kind of learns the res- restraints and not like intervene, but like that channels out to like an incredible expression of grief and agony. And so she has to be whisked away off the set because she's stealing the scene away because of how well her acting as a bystander is and how in despair she is watching this kid being murdered. And then the assistant character thinks that she was probably feeling bad because, you know, the job didn't go well. But like, instead Kay is like really fascinated and like is people watching is thinking about, like the emotions that are people and she's like thinking to herself wow i didn't know i had that in me i can't believe i could be such a terrible person just the way Kay articulates like emotions and expresses emotions like her coming to like emotional realizations about her own emotions and what she how she can channel her personality and how she feels through acting and even things and like that entire aspect of her is just so fascinating to me I just am completely enamored with her character, and I really want to read more Act Age. I hope Viz like puts out more chapters because I I want to read that gap of chapters and see like how Kay has developed like since like the chapters that are already available. Man, like she I think is like the most fascinating new character uh, in manga uh, in 2018. Like I I think she's an incredibly fascinating protagonist. Like. She's so unusual and like just so emotionally complex. I, I, I'm really, really, really am fascinated by her. Mm. Okay, well here, I, I, I have an answer. Um I think Hawks is a pretty interesting new character, speaking of uh my hero academia. Mm-hmm. He's he's just such a like laid back kind of person who's who, you know, he, he kind of knows like how the hero business works and everything. Like, you know, he's you know, he he's not he's not like an he's not like an idiot like you know he he he's he's like aware of things he's aware of the business um i i really enjoyed uh the help that he lended uh endeavor during his fight with the nomu um i really like the wrinkle of him being like a double agent for the villains um i i really want to see like where that goes 
I don't know, like uh, just 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 like as a new like up and coming pro, I I think he's pretty interesting and has some interesting powers to him, and uh, I I really want to see how Horikoshi utilizes him in the future. I think Hawks is a really fascinating character as someone who supposedly has this very lazy attitude towards heroism. Like he wants to make it so that heroes won't have to do any work by doing such a good job that there isn't any crime. But he's also very morally complex because he is in this double agent position where he is basically exploiting Endeavor and like manipulating him into the situation where ultimately Endeavor has been you know, bruised pretty badly on his face and stuff because of this. And, you know, Hawks had to let him into that position. And so he feels bad about it and feels bad about keeping the secrets from Endeavor, but it's necessary in order to gain the League of Villains' trust and perform his mission. So I think he's a very morally fascinating character. And I'm interested in seeing like where they'll go with him. And in terms of, Hmm, another new character from an existing, currently running manga. Uh, not a new one that's already this year, but one that has, you know, been running for a while. I guess I do like uh, Asahi from Food Wars, like as a new antagonist. Uh, I think that it's, it's quite a bizarre twist of, to like introduce a brother of Soma, like even though they're not like related. Uh, but... I think that Asahi is kind of, like, just intriguing, like, as a character. Like, he has this, like, very fun personality. Like, he's very much like Soma in terms of, like, he's very lackadaisical, very easygoing. But I'm very intrigued by him, like, as a character, like, what he... He wants to, like, marry Irina, and, like, he wants to be acknowledged as the best chef, and, like, that's putting him in conflict with Soma, who wants... Aaron and I acknowledge him as the best. So, you know, I think that, like, he's going to make a great foil for Soma because their personalities are so similar and because they have, like, so much in common, both being trained by Juichiro and stuff. So uh, I think that he's a cool new antagonist and also a new cool new character for Food Wars. But now let's talk about our favorite new series of 2018. And I don't know about you, Colton, but I think there there's so many good new series of 2018 that I, I'm really happy with the year in terms of like bringing out some like series with a lot of great potential that I'm hoping like really stick around for a while. I think though my favorite, my absolute favorite, was definitely Hell's Paradise Jigoku Raku, which I think I am a little, I feel a little biased towards that because I had caught up on it like within the last couple of days. But man, I am really loving this series. Like, it is like a marriage between Blade of the Immortal and Annihilation. Like, these, uh, in terms of like the art, there's very reminiscent of Hiroki Samurai's and Blade of the Immortal. And, you know, obviously the concept of like these near immortal character, like, uh, fighting these violent, bl- bloody battles against criminals and other crazy characters and like these long drawn out like, desperate fights, but also, like, this island full of these weird, bizarre creatures uh, that are have weird mixture of religious inspirations and this entire mystery of this island and what it really is and where all these creatures came from. Is it really a paradise on Earth, a hell on Earth, or a heaven on Earth, or is this, like, a man-made place? Is there What is this conspiracy behind 
this place? And is there really an elixir of life? Who are the Tenzin? And, like, what is their real aim and goal? And of course, the characters are just all compelling. Like, I really, really love Gabimaro and Sagiri as characters and their development and the relationship with each other. I really like all the supporting cast, and like, it's really good at making you invested in these characters and making you feel heartbreaking or scared when they get into situations where it seems like they might get killed off because the series is also very not, uh, not shy of, uh, killing off characters in surprising ways so i am really really enjoying it really excited to see where all these mysteries are going and i just could not stop myself when i started reading this and like getting caught up on it because it's just really really engrossing honestly even though i haven't really like finished either of them or caught up to them i'm very confident in saying that not just jigoku raku but Act Age are also pretty much two of my favorite new series from the last year. Like, Act Age, I'm so glad that Viz picked it up. Like, Act Age, out of, like, all the jump starts that came out last year, like, man, this, this was the one I really, really, really wanted to read more of the most. The next one being Noah's Notes, which, again, uh, for just in case you didn't, didn't know, it unfortunately got act it didn't didn't really i don't think it got past like 17 chapters it, it was pretty short um but no yeah i'm like act age you know we we talked about it on the show and you know you know lum really put it best like it's it's such an interesting series especially considering you know that it runs in jump because it's just so unlike jump and where it's it's not an action series it's it's really not even something it's it's just everything about it is so atypical a jump and i know people say that about you know stuff like promise neverland and dr stone but like this feels like the most atypical jump title running right now in where like it's such a it's it's a real character study about this girl who you know may or may not be good at acting like and she really gets to well, she is good at acting. She's so good at acting that as a bystander, as an extra in the scene, they had to whisk her off because she was too well, good. Well, I mean, that's true. But I'm I'm just saying that, like, you know, it's, I don't know. Like, I've just, I've never seen this kind of manga in a shonen magazine before, especially not at Jump. Like, I'm kind of amazed that this even exists. Like, I don't know. Like, just, just like the, the, the premise you know, like, it just hooked me instantly. I I really wanted to read uh, more of this desperately after its initial, like, three-chapter run in the magazine at first. Like, honestly, like, I haven't been this hooked by a Jump series since... Probably since Dr. Stone. But, I mean, like, since Dr. Stone and Promised Neverland, I think. Uh, like, I've never been hooked this hard. And... You know, like Lum said, I'm I'm really hoping that Viz uh puts up the backlog of this series really soon because I really want to catch up to this. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I already praised the hell out of Act Age when I talked about Kei Yunagi as my favorite character, but yeah, like I'm in total agreement that Act Age is like one of the best new shown weekly shonen jump series, like one of the best new manga out of twenty eighteen. I also want to throw some praise towards Jujutsu Kaisen as well, which I have found very compelling as well 
from everything that Wiz has put up. Like, I really enjoy the characters in that series. I'm really enjoying, like, kind of the atmosphere and the artwork and the action in it. Like, the I, I'm really hooked on that series as well. And I'm looking forward to the gap filling on that as well to continue reading more of it. Because, like, from some things that We Lord has been telling me and about, like, what happens in it, and the chapters that is not available by Wiz yet, like, uh, there's some really interesting twists and turns in the series. And uh, I, I already feel, like, pretty invested in some of the characters, like Nobara, like, the female lead. Like, she's a lot of fun. And uh, I liked her, like, kind of introduction chapters really great. And, yeah, I, ju I just think Jujutsu Kaisen is, like, a really, really great new series as well. Like, uh, even though it's, like, I you would think that I'd be burned out of these supernatural monster-fighting shonen series. But Jujutsu Kaisen just has some fresh elements to it. Like, in terms of, like, how its monsters are drawn and how it mixes its humor and its horror elements that, like, really helps it stand out and make it so compelling to read. So definitely gonna tro get, throw some praise Jujutsu Kaisen's way as well but now let's talk about our favorite currently running manga of 2018 what we've been all building up to what was the best of the best what was our favorite currently running manga of the year I mean if you want to go first you can go ahead all right, I'll start us off then. And man, I this is hard, really. You know, I think that you know, I'm, I Hell's Paradise, Jugoku Raku, just I really am really enjoying that series. I got, but I feel like just because I caught up on it so recently, I don't want to make that my pick. Similarly, I really enjoyed L Live, and I think the final year of L Live was just amazing in terms of like how it wrapped up the arc with the Heaven Siders, and then like its final arc was just really, really satisfying. But again, I read that very recently as well, so I don't want to like just throw those out by themselves as like my favorites. But I think that overall, if I were to choose the one manga that I think was consistently great all year, I think it was Dr. Stone. Because every chapter of Dr. Stone from beginning of the year to end of the year was just so entertaining. I thought that so much happened in Dr. Stone. I never felt that there was a lull. I felt there was always something new and exciting going on. And I was really satisfied by how the Stone Wars arc went and like how everything has ended up. And like it ended the year on just such a strong note, too, with them building the hot air balloon and just that, you know, that's another great two bait spread. Them in the hot air balloon looking at like the sunrise, just beautiful. Like Dr. Stone just has some great storytelling, great characters. I thought that. You know, it is just the most reliably fun manga to read in Shonen Jump right now. Oh, man, I hate you. That was going to be my pick. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't help but agree. Like, like a month or, a month or two ago when I was like months and months behind on Shonen Jump, and I was just like breezing through as much manga as I could to finally catch up, like... Dr. Stone was pretty much the one thing I was, like, actively looking forward to in, like, the three months I was reading it. Like, man, it's so interesting to say, like, considering how, like, I think I said last year Promised Neverland was probably my favorite series last year. I, like, Promised Neverland has been good, but, like, man, Dr. Stone has pretty much just, like, just pretty much stolen the show for me. Like, 
I mean, you, you you pretty much said it best. Like, I like I I actively tried to keep it out of the other categories because like there were so many moments from Doctor Stone that I could have talked about from this year. And honestly, I'm actually kind of ashamed that I didn't put Senku as my number one favorite character from the year because like he always steals the show. Like he's a he's a great protagonist. That was also someone I would have mentioned too. Like he was also in the running for me as favorite protagonist of the year because Senku is just a very consistently entertaining character and very compelling as well. I think actually some of my uh, some of my favorite moments from Doctor Stone, aside uh, I guess from the Stone War arc, I really liked uh, Chrome's breakout um, of his of his cell. Mm-hmm. I thought those chapters in particular were pretty entertaining, in how like he basically decides like you know I can't just sit around waiting for my friends to come help me. I gotta like use the power of science to get out of this predicament. And I thought a lot of that was really entertaining and really clever. Uh, like all in all like if it weren't for senku i think chrome would also probably be like my favorite character it's just a general like i i really love the direction dr stone's going in because like you know i remember seeing people kind of worried about how you know now that you know without giving too much away now now that sukas is basically kind of out of the picture for now like people were wondering well like where can the series go from here like he was basically the big antagonist um at least it seemed for a while but now like Inagaki and Boichi have really opened up Dr. Stone to become, like, an even bigger adventure series than, like, 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 the scope of Dr. Stone has just gotten so much bigger, and I'm really excited to see, like, how their exploration goes, and, like, you know, what they find outside of the island that they're on. Yeah, it's really exciting, because now they're really traveling the world to figure out the mystery of how the stone world came to be, so... I'm really looking forward to seeing what that could lead to because like globetrotting adventures, seeing how other places around the world have been affected by this stone world thing is going to be really fascinating. Um, I do want to say that if it weren't for Dr. Stone, my pick would have been Black Clover this year. Really? Like it's just been consistently good. I don't know what to say. I can't believe, I can't believe two years ago, if you were to like, if you would have told me, <laughs> Hey Colton, you're gonna love Black Clover, and you're gonna love this. You're gonna love the entirety of Black Clover in 2018. I would have been like, Nah, you're you're lying to me. I don't believe you. Get 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 out of here. Uh, get out of here, future me. You don't exist. Um, no, yeah, it's been good. Like, ah, man, there's so many things I want to talk about with Black Clover. Like, the 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 fact that the Black Bulls like hideout or I guess headquarters can turn into a giant mecha. Like, you know, that shit's awesome. And uh, just just seeing the Black Bulls just kind of, like, work together, especially, like, you know, some of the members that, you know, hadn't gotten as much screen time up, a screen time up until now have been really entertaining. The, the fact that, like, uh, all these characters have, like, been reincarnated as elves, uh, like, really kind of add these stakes where it's, like, you know, for a while, you like, you know, we, we didn't really know if we could get back these characters, like, if whether we, like, really lost them or not like i thought that really added like because you know one of my problems with black clover was that like i never really there were certain arcs where i didn't really feel like the stakes were there but like you know with that little addition there with uh with the elves you know basically invading all these bodies and whatnot like i really thought like man are they gonna have to like kill their friends or whatever or like are we gonna get our friends back like i really didn't know like you know, what was going to happen with that for a while. And then 
you know, the the death of a certain character, I that really kind of caught me off guard too. Uh a, just a lot of really great fights between a lot of really unexpected duos, such as Yami and and the guy from Chapter One. I never thought he'd come back. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I'm I'm trying to think because there was also another fight that like I could have easily picked if I didn't love Midoriya versus General Criminal so much. Um, and that was when uh when when they were fighting against Luck. Yeah, Magma and Vanessa versus Luck. That was yeah, really good. that was surprisingly really emotional. That actually kind of got me. But man, yeah, Black Clover, I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, if it weren't like other than Dr. Stone has been like my favorite thing to read this year. Black Clover has been consistently entertaining with its like current arc. And yeah, it, I enjoyed like pretty much all the moments. There's been a lot of great character moments for all the Black Bulls. We got introduced to Henry at the beginning of the year, who's a neat new character. And like, the, I think the reveal of like, Lick's real identity, like like that the lick that we thought was licked was not really licked. Is he was Patry, like that twist is really good, and you know there's just a lot of really good stuff in Black Clover that's happened this year oh, for sure. Man, yeah, I I cannot believe that to that I I just can't believe I'm still reading Black Clover and I actually love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like. I think everything that's been running in Shonen Jump this year has just been excellent. Like, I've enjoyed pretty much every series. Like, I, even the series that I don't normally enjoy as much, like Seraph of the End and Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc 5, I really liked this year. So, like, I just thought this was an amazing year for Shonen Jump manga in particular. And I wish I read more manga outside of, like, Shonen Jump and the stuff that Wiz has been simul-publishing. Unfortunately, like, I haven't caught up on Crunchyroll series or stuff like To Your Eternity and Seven Lily Sins. I need to do that uh, sometime. But, like, in terms of, like, just Shonen Jump manga, like, 2018 was an amazing year for pretty much all of them. Like, I thought One Piece had a fantastic year with the end of the whole Cake Island arc. The Reverie was mind-blowing. And then we had, like, the, the beginning of Wano has been really good. And then uh, I mentioned Food Wars before. It was really satisfying with the end of the central arc at the first half of the year. And then this new arc uh, with the Cuisineers Noirs. Well, it has been kind of weird at the start because I didn't know where I was going with this. Ultimately, I just think it's like really fun. And even though it's more over the top with like people cooking food with chainsaws now, like it's it's still incredibly endearing and goofy in a way that just Food Wars is just so entertaining in how it indulges in its goofiness. But yeah, manga was really great in 2018. Yeah, and I can't wait to see uh, how we feel at the end of 2019. Yeah, hopefully it'll be as good a year. But speaking of looking ahead to the future, what are some manga we want to read in 2019 in particular? Well, actually, like, b- what are b- some before, manga- we, before we get on to that, I actually really want to read uh, some uh, some comments we got on Twitter before we uh, head on to that real quick. Sure thing. Because uh, I, put, I put it out there on the Manga Mavericks Twitter asking our followers what their favorite episodes of the podcast were, uh, their favorite series to read, and any particular moments of manga that may have resonated with them. And our first comment comes from at Microwavy, where uh, they mention how uh, World Trigger was their favorite podcast episode. I I do agree that uh, that was a pretty good episode. And how uh, their favorite series to read this year was Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. 
And uh, the moment that resonated with them the most was uh, the chapter of We Never Learn, where Yuiga admits he feels pressured by his circumstances to the point he can't bring himself to follow his dream, even though everyone around him supports him and wants him to be more selfish. Yeah, it's the moment I mentioned. It was indeed a very impactful moment of We Never Learn. And then uh, we have a comment from at Meowth900, hey Allison, who says that uh, her favorite episode was our uh, Shonen Jump retrospective, which is good because, uh, again, we put a lot of time into that one, so I'm I'm really glad people seem to have really enjoyed that episode. Uh, her favorite series to read this year was, again, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. <laughs> and then uh, her favorite manga moment from 2018 was the moment where Ippo Makinochi realizes he can do more on the boxing ring than just boxing. I Someone really needs to license and simul-publish Ippo. Please, somebody, please. It's an uh, over 1,000 chapter commitment, but, you know. I mean, like, Hajime no Ippo could basically have its own manga app. <laughs> Yeah, it really could. Daily chapters of Hajime no Ippo. It would take at least four years to get caught up. But <laughs> Oh, boy. That sounds torturous, honestly. Ah, but Ippo is good, so maybe... I mean, Ippo's you know. good, but I, I know it's also very, like, action-heavy, too, so it's like... Yeah, there's not, <laughs> not a lot happens per chapter when it's, like, a fight chapter. All right, uh, next up we have some comments from Koi Boy B-Boy, who says that uh, two older series... Uh, that I read this year were Vagabond and Master Keaton. The visual storytelling in Vagabond is astounding, and even the incomplete narrative shows tremendous insight and growth. Master Keaton had felt like an ignored Urasawa series, uh, but it deserves to be read. The episodic nature shows a great craft in creating a full narrative within a 24-page chapter. His art and writing are suitably great. I agree. Those are both amazing series. I love them a lot. And highly recommend them to everyone. Um, yeah, I, I really need to get on both of those. I, I am definitely interested in reading Master Keaton in particular. Um, and then our last comment from uh, Koi Boy says, uh, Seeing high-quality versions of old material either redone or re-released here for the first time is great. Uh, Devilman, Abra, Harlock, Jojoniums, 20th Century Boys, Perfect Editions, etc. Mm-hmm. Really looking forward to those Perfect Editions. Oh, yeah. See, man... I don't know if I mentioned this. I actually went out to buy the first volume of 20th Century Boys, and then literally right after that was when the perfect editions were announced. So I'm just <laughs> like, oh, well, it's it's a good thing they announced them when they did. Yeah, a good thing that they you only got volume one before they announced them, so you didn't buy them all, <laughs> and they were like, oh, I, I would no. have been so amazingly pissed. Um, <laughs> uh, next up, our very own VLore GTZ. Uh, who says that his favorite episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast was the Devilman episode. A very good episode, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, his favorite manga for the year was a tie between Kimetsu no Yaiba and To Your Eternity. A lot of love for Demon Slayer. Yeah, uh, but we need to do an episode on it or something. Yeah, and Relord wanted us to. <laughs> <laughs> but and he's also been ragging on me to get caught up in To Your Eternity, which I want to do, and I definitely hope to do this year i literally haven't read more of it since our podcast on it <laughs> hey if it makes you feel any better beat either <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh he says his favorite manga moment from the year was when hinamaru watches his late mother's video message in hinamaru zumo which um you know i i haven't seen much of hinamaru zumo like past the anime but like i can only imagine that is a very heartbreaking moment that will definitely make me cry 
<laughs> yeah, he's what well, Eli's been saying. Hinamaru's had a great year as well. So, all right, and then our last comic comes from at above a cloud, who says, "Uh, I, I love the way they word this. Favorite episode of the podcast? Easy. That f- monster of a podcast on fifty years of jump." Which I, I love how that's an easy answer. That 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 makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, their favorite series this year was uh, Dead Dead Demons for a new Western release. Uh, probably My Hero Academia as far as ongoing series go. And their favorite moment from manga were the final moments of Gentle versus Deku, which has stuck in their mind all year. Yeah, I think we can agree with that. That was an impactful fight. And Dead Dead Demons was definitely a great new release. I enjoy that series a lot. And uh, MHA has consistently been great. Oh, yeah. Very good picks. All right. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for all your comments. Uh, If you want to send us a comment, you can always follow us at manga underscore mavericks on Twitter. So there you go. All right. But now let's get into the big one. Yes. Manga we promised to read in 2019. Every year in these best subs, we promise to read a series next year. I don't know how well we do with this. So, so do you, uh, do, you, do you want me to go over our uh, our resolutions from last year? Because I have them written down. Yes, please. Let's hear them. All right. So let, let's let's go with you. You were ambitious. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned a lot of series. Uh, so I I don't think I have them all written down because you just you just you mentioned a shit ton. Um, but uh, here are some of the ones I, I thought were I guess the ones worth bringing up. Uh, you said you would finish up Ice Shield 21, and uh, also that you wanted to catch up on both Hajime no Ippo and Detective Conan, and that uh, you wanted to read uh, Solo Exchange Diary, which you did. Uh, you mm-hmm. wanted to read uh, Sleepy Princess in the Demon's Castle. We did an mm-hmm. episode about the first volume. Uh, Golden Kamui, Devilman, Majinger Z, Captain Tsubasa, Hoshinengi, Shaman King, Whistle, Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs... All the manga that you have bought but haven't read, and School Rumble. I definitely did some of those. I was definitely ambitious, though. I could not redo all of those. I mean, Hajime no Whippo and Detective Conan, what was I thinking? All the manga that I bought, you know, that's something that I should do, but we have over 1,500 volumes of manga, so <laughs> that's going to take a while. Oh, uh, boy. But, like, Whistle, Shaman King, Ayuna, uh demon slayer like a lot of those series i did actually read so hey you know i i, I got some of them well there you go at the very least all right um so so what are what are your resolutions for 2019 uh i will not be as ambitious this year <laughs> i just nearly want to catch up with every simul published manga Okay. Uh, being released in North America. So I'm caught up with everything sh- Shonen Jump, everything Viz Simul Pubs, but I want to catch up with all the Crunchyroll Simul Pubs. And uh, basically that's it, I guess. All the Crunchyroll Kodansha collab Simul Pubs. Like, I, I'd catch up with Yen Press Simul Pubs, like Black Butler, but I don't want to pay $2 per chapter. At that price, I'd rather wait for the volume. Uh, but it's fair. Because it, it's, it's about the same then. So I figure, why not just wait for the volume at that point? But yeah, I mean, I want to catch up on like Ajin, Aposimus, Attack on Titan, Crossing Time, Devil's Line, Domestic Girlfriend, Drifting Dragons, uh, 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 GGO Paradise Lost, uh, maybe that one. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, uh, that's a low priority one. Uh, Grand Blue Dreaming, 
uh, Joshi Kaze, Love Theory, Our Precious Conversations, Planet Wed, Restaurant to Another World, Shonen Ashibe, Silver Nina, Space Brothers, Tantless Nana, Tales of Woody Rings, Heroic Legend of Arslan, Seven Deadly Sins, To Your Eternity, Topo GP, Yuku Holder, Yanoda, Delinquent and Haku, and Wave Listen to Me. So, all those series. Let's see if I can get caught up on them. Oh, um, I mean, you said you weren't going to be that ambitious, but I don't know. That sounds like the opposite of not ambitious. Yeah, well, it's not. Let's read all of Epo ambitious. So there's that. <laughs> I don't all know. All of Epo and Conan, two thousand chapters worth of manga. I don't know. That already sounds like that already sounds like at least a thousand chapters worth of manga you're trying to tackle right there. Uh, not really. I mean, some of those series I don't have to like read from the beginning because I'm only a little bit behind on them. I guess that's true. Come on, isn't isn't there like anything in particular that like. You want to maybe like cover on the podcast in 2019? Maybe nothing that comes cover to mind. Cover on the podcast? I mean, I want to cover all the stuff that uh, ranks highly on our survey, if possible. I mean, B Stars, you know, that's been doing pretty well. I definitely want to read that and see all what all the buzz is about about B Stars. No, come on! Isn't there something you want to like really, really want to talk about? Anything personal to you? Oh, I think what you're trying to lead me to is say Yurisi Yatstra, which, yes, of course, I'd love to cover on the podcast, but also I'll make an announcement right here is that I am planning to talk about Yurisi Yatstra a lot this year to celebrate its new North American release over here by starting up a Yurisi Yatstra podcast, the Yurisi Yatstra podcast. I'm going to uh, launch that next month hopefully in time for the release of the first omnibus volume and so look forward to that coming your way and hopefully that'll be covering yurisayasa manga in all sorts of forms covering the new graphic novel releases doing deep dives into chapters character analysis all the good stuff so look forward to that but yeah we can also talk about it on the manga mavericks podcast as well because i cannot get enough talking about yurisayasa all right um Okay, I, I think those all sound like good resolutions. Um, let's get into what I promised last year. Um, <laughs> so uh, I mentioned that I wanted to finish both Yu Yu Hakusho and Food Wars. Hey, you did. You finished Yu Yu Hakusho. Yeah, I, I finished Yu Yu Hakusho. I did not finish Food Wars. I just... How far did you get? Um, oh, When was the last time I read Food Wars? I want to say I'm on like volume six. I'm pretty far behind. But I, I do want to keep reading Food Wars. I'm not sure if I want to say I'll definitely catch up on Food Wars, but I want to catch up on Food Wars. Like, I want to be caught up by the end of 2019. Um, mm-hmm. I said that I wanted to read the first 100 chapters of Epo. I never got around to that. Part of the reason <laughs> part of the reason I didn't, though, is because... Um, because obviously, like, if I'm going to do something like Epo, like, I want to do a thread about it, right? Like, I, I feel like I feel like that calls for a thread on Twitter anyway. Uh, but unfortunately, um, the author of Hajime no Epo hates digital. So uh, Hajime no Epo is not available digitally, so I cannot buy it on Bookwalker, which is unfortunate. And, you know, I'm kind of doing this thing now where, like, you know, because every once in a while, I still... I still kind of dabble in scans a little bit, but not nearly as much as I used to, like, a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, like, I'm really trying not to post scans on my Twitter feed anymore, because I don't really want to promote scans. So, you know, if if I do ever get around to reading Hajime no Ippo, like, like, I'll probably tweet about it, but I'm probably not going to tweet about it as much as I 
I as much as I want to. I'm certainly going to try not to like post any images about it. Unfortunately, um, so if you were uh, you know looking forward to a very you know long Twitter thread of me reading Hajime no Ippo, you're probably not going to get it. So I can't. I just I just can't. I'm sorry. Uh, so I never did that. Um, I wanted to start and finish Princess Jellyfish and do an episode about it on the podcast, which... It's happening. It'll be the next episode. Yeah, there we go. I mean, I'm technically not done yet. I'm very close to finishing it. Like, I'm literally, like, f- like three or four volumes behind. Like, I've actually been able to read it pretty quickly. I've actually been really into it lately. Nice. So, you know, we'll we'll count that one as done. And so, yeah, that was basically all I set out to do. And I think I pretty much did a lot of what I wanted to. Um, So I'm proud of myself. But let's get into what I really want to, like, what I really want to cover on the podcast this year. Um, Which I've probably mentioned alum a couple of times on the, like, you know, off mic. And I'm sure anybody who knows me probably already knows this. But uh, I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what our survey results are. I mean, I... I do care about what our uh, survey results are because I care about what you guys think, but I, I don't care in the sense of like I'm gonna I I want to cover the series regardless of our poll results. I want to read all of and cover on the podcast sometime in 2019 the original Yu-Gi-Oh manga from Kazuki Takahashi. It's uh it's been a series that I have been collecting in print through the uh, through the three and one omnibus volumes from Viz. Um, it's, it's been something I've really been wanting to take a look at because I've heard so much about the Yu-Gi-Oh manga. I'm very familiar with the beginning of it. I'm very familiar with how different it is from the anime. Both are very different experiences. I know that much. And so it's something I really want to talk about on the show, like above all else. That's like the one thing I really want to talk about the most. Well, then it will happen because I'm definitely down for rereading Yu-Gi-Oh 2. Even though currently on the survey, it has no votes yet. Well, but uh, well, that'll change. I was going to say, if, if I could give it 500 votes, I would. Um, but like <laughs> I said, we're covering it regardless of poll results, because that's just how much I want to talk about it. Um, I'm also going to make a few resolutions as far as Simul Pups go. Uh, I'm going to start one weekly series that isn't a jump manga. Uh, whether that be from Crunchyroll, uh, Yen Press, uh, I don't know, wh- wherever Simul Pubs are sold, I'm I'm gonna start at least one non-jump Simul Pub this year and catch up to it. Hey, nice. Uh, which may or may not be to your eternity, but I would also like to actually like start something new, like from the beginning. What you thinking of? Um, see, I don't know. I haven't really like decided on anything yet. I kind of wanted to keep it vague because I <laughs> because I don't know like. Like, I definitely want to read, like, more Crunchyroll stuff. Like, I guess if I had to, like, choose something off the top of my head. Uh, Wave seemed pretty interesting. Yeah, I love Wave. I've read a co- the first uh, couple volumes of that and really enjoy that. Yeah, that was kind of one I've been kind of, like, the most interested in. So I might start up that one. Um, I'm also going to start and read one backlog series in the Shonen Jump app. At least one of them. I mean, I don't want to say which one it is because I have a couple. Like, I'm thinking maybe like Siren, Muyo and Roji, maybe Prince of Tennis, um, D. Grayman, some one of those series. Like, I, I I want to at least get through one backlog series in the Shonen Jump app because I have access to it. I might as well. Oh yeah, I guess I'll pledge that I want to read all the stuff in the Shonen Jump backlog that I have not read yet. 
So, like, oh, man. <laughs> definitely Claymore and Tagami Bachi are the big two. Um, and you know what? Screw it. Why not? I want to also make this the year that I read My Hero Academia Vigilantes, finally, because I still haven't read it. You still haven't read that? Nope, oh, still man. haven't read it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you gotta, dude. Oh, man. Yeah, I want to make I want to make 2019 the year I finally read it and catch up on it, so. Mm-hmm. That also had a really good year. Oh, man. Um, I'm like, I'm, I really don't want to be too ambitious, but, like, I also... Like I feel like I really want I really should catch up on stuff like Act Age, Jujutsu Kaisen and 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 uh Kimetsu no Yaiba cuz like I've especially Kimetsu no Yaiba. I at least want to like I at least want to like start start on that series. I I want to say catch up but like I don't know how caught up uh the Viz releases will be by the by the end of the year, so I uh, hopefully they'll fill up the gap. I'm hoping so too. Uh but, Demon Slayer, yeah. I'm less sure about because of the graphic novel releases. Maybe they'll just keep those going and fill the gap that way. But like Jujutsu Kaisen Act, I hope they just fill that gap like uh, more quickly. Well, okay, then I, I at least want to catch up on Act Age and Jujutsu Kaisen as well. I at least want to start Kimetsu no Yaiba. I'm not going to promise that I'm going to finish it because, again, I'm pretty much going to be sticking with the Western releases on those. So. Mm hmm. And I think that's I think that's going to be about it for me. I think I've already filled my plate more than I actually wanted to. Yeah, we'll see how many that we actually follow through on uh, next year. I, I'm actually feeling pretty good about mine. I think that mine are doable uh, in a whole year. Like, it's not read all of Ippo and Conan <laughs> a level on top of everything else. So uh, let, let's see. Maybe this is actually doable. Oh uh, yeah, I, I think mine are doable as well. Like, you know, like because I I do want to read more non-jump simul pubs, but like, but like I know I'm only probably only gonna get through like one or two this year if I really like pace myself. So, yeah, like because I'm also gonna make a make an effort to like actually catch up with all a jump now that I have access to other series that I didn't have access to before. So like I'm gonna be I'm gonna have so many weekly series under my belt now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to be difficult enough to keep up with a two dozen Shonen Jump series. Oh, my God. There's like another street dozen outside of Jump. <gasps> so. Oh, I feel tired already. <laughs> oh, speaking of tired, um, I think that's about it for the show, right? Yeah, I think this is a very fun best of manga in 2018 podcast that covered a lot of ground and we really got to talk about a lot of our favorites. And I'm sure there's even more great stuff of manga in 2018 we could talk about. But this podcast, I think, has already gone on quite long and is quite packed with so much goodness that we'll leave you hanging uh, right now from here. All right. Yeah. Um. Really want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, and not just this episode, but you know, for listening to the Manga Mavericks podcast in 2018. Without your support, none of this would be possible. Definitely, we are really happy that you guys have shown your support for the show. We're happy that we've reached more audiences, and we hope that you enjoy the show a lot in 2018. You'll continue to enjoy it in 2019, and we just plan to keep making it even better and more entertaining for you guys. But before we head out, we've been mentioning the survey on and off, and yeah, I guess just uh, just to kind of promote that, uh, you know, this is about the time of year that we hold our year-end survey, and uh, this year we're doing something different. 
uh, in case you couldn't tell, by letting you guys uh, kind of help us pick a few series to read this year. Um, not just from Shonen Jump, but from other magazines such as, you know, uh, Shonen Sunday, Weekly Shonen Magazine, as well as maybe a few uh, Shoujo and Jose titles and Seinen titles as well. So uh, the manga from all different kinds of uh, demographics and genres and whatnot. Obviously, we, we're not going to promise we'll get to all of them, but we put out the call to you guys, you know, to to have you let us know, like, what series you're the most interested in seeing us cover on the show this year. And we definitely want to cover, like, the stuff that gets the most votes. And, there's, and we're not going to guarantee that all the top voted uh, series on the survey will be covered on the show this year. But we definitely want to see what you guys want us to talk about and we want to try and get around to those this year for sure so that survey will really help us you know plan our schedule for what we want to cover on the show this year and so it'll help us have a balance of stuff to celebrate shonen sunday and shonen magazine 60th anniversaries you know make sure we get some coverage of shoujo and jose titles this year which has been lacking you know last year especially uh, and also, you know, just some other series beyond Shonen Jump 2 that we could cover this year. So really appreciate your guys' input. And we really want to hear your thoughts and what you really want to see us discuss. And we want to dis- hope and hopefully we'll be able to discuss them on the show this year. Yeah. So if you want to take our surveying, you want a chance to tell us what you want us to read. Uh, we'll definitely leave a link to our survey in the show notes. Uh, be sure to look out for it in this episode. And we'll we'll be putting links to our survey in pretty much uh, every episode of the podcast until, um, you know, un- until our survey is up. So be sure to look out mm-hmm. for it. The survey will be live through friday the 25th that's when we're planning uh to end the survey we highly encourage you to do so it'll really help us out mm-hmm. all right but uh i think it's time to tell everybody where they can uh, find us individually uh, if you want to go first you can find me at Lamariasha on Twitter and as Lamariasha on various places like Animation Revelation and Annie List. Wherever there's a Lamariasha, that's where you can find me. And I also write reviews for all-comma.com. You can look forward to seeing my reviews on there. Definitely plan to write more this year and hopefully a lot more this year. And... Once I get some links up for the Yurisi Yatsur podcast and all sorts of other creative stuff that I plan to do this year, I'll let you guys know. And you can follow me on Twitter for updates. All right. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me. I'm Colton at SniperKing323. Uh, you can also listen to a few of my other podcasts, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. Though it's on an indefinite hiatus, uh, we still have a huge backlog of episodes Basically, if you're a fan of Gintama, you'll definitely want to go listen to that at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com, as well as One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.com. If you're a fan of Detective Conan slash Case Closed, uh, whatever you want to call it, please go listen to that show. Uh, we basically cover the manga through the Viz Media release that is currently ongoing. Uh, and I record that with my friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast, also a friend of the show. Again, that's at onepodcastprevails.com. Please listen to the show. I really enjoy recording that, so uh, check it out if you're a fan of Conan. But as for All Comic and the Podcast, uh, you can find more of our Manga Mavericks podcast over at all-comic.com. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic 
or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, specifically uh, the Manga Mavericks podcast, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks, as well as mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks. Uh, we post excerpts of the show, including different news pieces and uh, reviews and whatnot of different manga we cover on the show, and even some exclusive content every once in a while. So definitely go subscribe to our channel. Just a quick thing, you can also listen to our podcast on Spotify. Uh, you know, just in case you didn't know, uh, there are podcasts on Spotify now. So if you ever wanted an extra place to listen to our show, definitely go there at Spotify.com. But if you have anything you want to email us, uh, what are what were some of your favorite manga from 2018? Uh, what are some of your favorite episodes of the podcast? Uh, you know, what do you want to see us read on the show? Uh, email us anything about the podcast, manga in general, over at mangamavericks at gmail.com, and we'll read it on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever it's called nowadays. Uh, it really helps the visibility of our show. And so please go do that if you so wish. But uh, that's going to be about it for the show. Again, we're moving on from 2018 to 2019, finally. Uh, this has been episode 73 of the podcast, and we will see you guys next time for episode 74. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.